0: Hi, Nick! Hey, boss, how you doing? Good! It's nice to have you back again! It's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Exciting.
1: It's super exciting, because today we're going to talk about the last part of the Dishonored series.
0: Yep. Well, there's a book that comes after Oh,
1: God. (laughs) Let's be honest, I don't read.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the the brilliant strategy is you don't need to read. just kind of absorb it all by osmosis. (laughs)
1: <laughs> there we go. I'll just put it under my pillow and then I'll know everything by morning. That's right. So yeah, we're going to talk about...
0: Death of the Outsider, the sort of standalone expansion that came out a little while after Dishonored 2. And it takes place after Dishonored 2 and the book The Return of Doubt, uh, which has some relevance to Death of the Outsider, but we don't need to rehash like the whole book to understand it.
1: Death of the Outsider, I think, is probably my favorite thing in the series.
0: Oh, me too. Me too. It's got it's got the best lore in the whole series, I think. It takes place in a lot of the same places as Dishonored 2, because it also takes place in Karnaka, so that you can tell they reused a lot of the levels. But in terms of the story and the characters and the visuals and just the sheer lore that you find, I think it's the best thing they've done in the series. I really do.
1: But the best best thing is that you have rechargeable mana.
0: Oh my gosh, yes, you don't have to drink those stupid little blue solutions to use your powers.
1: They need to go back and patch all the previous games to have that in there.
0: That would be so cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, I hate it, because every time I'd get to an important place, I'd be like, yeah, let me do this or that, and it's like, no, you have no, you have no mana. Nope,
0: you're out <laughs> of mana, you gotta, gotta chug a blue solution. <laughs> There's is, this is an interesting story behind that, it's like... I guess they had to figure out some plausible because, like in Dishonor Two, it's the Attermyer solution you take to replenish your mana. Um, by the time we get to Death of the Outsider, it's been taken off the market. Um, it's been recalled by Hypatia herself. Of course, Hypatia is the, the person who developed the Attermyer solution. Um, she was a prominent physician in Karnaka. and I, I think the reason she did that was because you know she, in the early versions of the solution, she turned into a raving lunatic. So I guess yeah. she she was afraid of the effects it would have on people. So she a it little the side effect. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure whether that's an early because she was working on a cure for the miners' diseases that they got working in the silver mines, and she was also working on the Adamire solution. I'm not 100 percent sure whether those are one and the same, but assuming they are, it would make sense because she turned into this raving psychopath by testing the solution on herself, and hmm. so that would make sense as a reason for her to recall the solution. Yeah, interesting bit of lore behind that. Mm-hmm. So it's gave him an excuse to get rid of the blue solution. So the only one you have to worry about now is the, you know, the Pierre and the, the Joplin and Sokolov <laughs> solution <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that restores your health.
1: Yeah.
0: Anyway, useless lore. There. Question: of The podcast <laughs> is is about lore, so I guess it's not totally.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Okay. So there are how many missions in this one?
0: There are five.
1: And the first one is called One Last Fight.
0: First one is called One Last Fight. Yes. Of course, it's. I think they like to go in fifteen-year increments with these games for some reason. It's like Dishonored Two takes place fifteen years after Dishonored One. And death of the outsider takes place fifteen years after Dishonor Two.
1: So, like, wait, Dowd has been gone for like thirty years.
0: Dowd's been gone for a while now. He and Billy meet up again for a bit in the novel, Re- The Return of Dowd, which takes place, uh. I think, con- concurrently with Dishonor Two, uh, or they like both concurrently with Dishonor Two and after Dishonor Two. It's like part of it takes place during the events of Dishonor Two, and part of it takes place afterwards. And at some point in that novel, Billy and Dowd meet up again. So Dowd's not been completely gone from the face of the earth for thirty years. He shows up again in the book, but not in Dishonored Two. He gets he gets big honorable mentions in Dishonored Two, but that's about it. So yeah, so he could, basically the whole point of the return of Dowd is that he's looking for the twin bladed knife, which is the only weapon that can kill the outsider. Um, and so he he gets a lead on it. He tracks it down to Karnaka. and then some. At some point along the way, Dowd gets captured by the. Uh, the same cult of people who made the Outsider 4,000 years ago. They've sort of perpetuated themselves and recruited people down through the ages to, to continue their activities. And so they, they, cap, they managed to capture Daoud because they've got this device that can suppress his magical powers from the Outsider. And so they leave him tied up in this bathhouse in, in Karnaka. The Isleless Cult, right? There, there, there are two sort of factions, I guess, in the Eyeless Cult. One is like, this gang of thugs. Most of them are like leftover refugees from witches who used to serve Delilah back when she made her coup in dishonor 2. And of course, when we got rid of Delilah, that took away their powers because they got their powers from Delilah. So they've been you know casting about trying to find some other way to use black magic and worship the Outsider. And so they got together and formed this gang of thugs, and they're running uh, presumably an illegal prize-fighting operation. Um, but when they find Dowd tied up in the basement of this bathhouse, the Albaca bathhouse, they decide he's too dangerous to move, so they just use the device to suppress his powers and leave him there and they move their whole operation to the bathhouse rather than moved out because he's that dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) And so they, they set up a prize fighting operation there and they, they basically force him to fight people. Yeah. And they, they, they take bets on the fight on the fights, and they call him the, the black magic brute. Yeah. Which is kind of a cheesy name, but that's what they came up with. And he's, (laughs) and and you come to find out it's, he's been in like 71 fights and he's undefeated and he kills half the people he fights against. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: He's basically Mike Tyson.
0: Basically, yeah, Dowd is despite Tyson. <laughs> of course, we know Dowd is powerful because he's been touched by the Outsider, so he's got genuine void magic at his disposal. Hmm. Um, and, and for context on who all these people are, you'd have to listen to the prior podcast because yeah. rehashing it all here would take <laughs> an awful lot of time. Yeah. Um, but basically, Dowd is the supernatural assassin who killed Empress Jessamine and set everything into motion. He's been touched by the Outsider, and he's got void magic, as does uh, Corvo, as does Emily. And as does as do a few other characters we've mentioned, including Granny Rags, who gets a men- an honorable mention in this game. But yeah. we'll get to that. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but, but Billy Lurk doesn't know exactly where Dowd is, but she's got a lead that these these this gang called the Eyeless is holding, uh, you know, black magic prize fights at the Obaka bath- Bathhouse. They're using black magic. They're using bone charms. Um, and she's been following up with her contacts in Karnaka from mm-hmm. the days when she used to be an assassin for Dowd. And they've also given her information that indicates Dowd is. In Karnaka and fighting at this bathhouse. And so that's the only lead she's got. She's been desperately searching for Dowd ever since the events of Dishonored 2, because in the canon version, you know, she confesses to Emily that she took part in the killing of her mother. Yeah. And Emily says, Well, it looks like you've changed because you helped me out. You helped me retake the throne. So all's forgiven. Uh, and that sort of inspires Billy to go looking for Dowd, who's the only person who ever, who she ever felt like was family to her,
1: uh, yeah. besides, Deird-
0: besides Deirdre, her old, her old love interest. hmm. Um, who gives her an artifact that lets her listen to rats, talk to rats.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that was so cute. That's cool, yeah.
0: It's like you have this little artifact that looks kind of like a heart. And it, when you hit when you like put the cursor on a group of rats and you hit the square button, you can listen to the rats' thoughts. And once in a while, they'll give you a, a helpful clue to your mission. Mm-hmm. They're not the enemies this time. They won't attack you. You know, they won't hurt you.
1: Yeah, they're helpful rats.
0: Yeah, this time they're helpful. They're not going to infect you with plague. They're not going to kill you. They're yeah. not going to swarm you. <laughs> Anything like that.
1: They're like, it's been 15 years. All is forgiven.
0: All is forgiven, baby. The rat plague is, is ancient history. But it, the rat plague gets an honorable mention, too, in the form of a certain type of liquor that's being brewed. We'll get to that. Because <laughs> it's pretty nasty stuff. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we, we get to 15 years after dishonor 2. Emily's retaking the throne. And, and things are in more or less good shape. I mean, obviously, obviously, there's corruption and crime, just like there always is. But, you know, after retaking the throne, Emily moves quickly to sort of unite everybody. She forges a partnership with the now sovereign nations of Tivia, Morley, and Circonos, which are the other islands in the empire besides Gristal, which is where Dunwall is located. Which sure most of the events have been centered in the first two games. And trade and communication are being restored, and she's instituted a lot of public works projects. So she seems generally popular and well respected as an empress by this point. Um, even because th- she wasn't terribly popular back in Dishonored Two, which gave Delilah room to move in and usurp her. But now. She's become a much stronger, more confident ruler after the events of Dishonored 2. And some of the comic books that take place after that. Um, and the Abbey of the Everyman, our favorite religious folks, uh, they suffered a pretty blistering defeat when they tried to siege Dunwall Tower and usurp Delilah because it became pretty clear pretty quick she was a witch. And <laughs> yeah. You know, as, as we know, they don't, they don't care much for witches. They tried to attack Dunwall Tower and they suffered a very blistering defeat at the hands of Delilah and her witches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now the Abbey's recovered from that, more or less. They've been very busy consecrating the dead and removing heretical objects from Dunwall Tower. Our friend Anton Sokolov has been retired for years in Karnaka, but he recently returned to his native Tivia, a very cold place up in the north, to open up a painting studio. They threw a parade in his honor when he arrived, but he got very grumpy and left early.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Classic Sokolov.
0: Yep. Yep. <laughs> The town throws a parade in his honor. He gets a hero's welcome, and he gets grumpy and leaves early because <laughs> he can't stand the infernal noise of the parade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going home. Uh, too noisy. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that's Sokolov. I think that's about all you hear about him. He gets a couple more cursory mentions, but you don't really see him in the game. So we talked about. Now, Granny Rags, we mentioned her. She's, she was a boss fight, a potential boss fight in Dishonored 1. She gets an honorable mention in Dishonored 2. You find out a little bit more about her. And in um, Death of the Outsider, you find one note that has one anecdotal story about Granny Rags. It's a note from someone named Adela, who found her brother chopped up for one of Granny Rags, you know, pots of stew.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, Granny Rags likes to chop people up and make stew out of them.
1: (laughs) Yeah, didn't uh, Granny Rags show her too?
0: Um, She was like,
1: I got your brother right here, and then she showed her the soup or something.
0: Yeah, yeah, because, like, basically she's trying to warn... This Adela person is trying to warn someone she cares about to stay away from black magic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she tells a story of how Granny Rags would say, would invite the kids over and say her <laughs> black-eyed friend will, will visit you if you're mm-hmm. good or if you're quiet. That's the outsider. Mm-hmm. And uh, one day, this person named Adela finds that her brother's been chopped up and made part of Granny Rags' evening stew.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's
0: like, this is what'll happen to you if you get mixed up in black magic. Oh my God. <laughs> Chopped up and put in some old lady stew. <laughs>
1: It reminds so that's, me of those uh, commercials, you know, this is your brain. This is your brain <laughs> on drugs.
0: <laughs> yep. Which, of course, takes you back to the first game where you can choose to let her put Jack's slack jaw in the evening stew or save him. <laughs>
1: <You know>? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, so Granny Rags, she's a cannibal. She likes to chop people up and have them for stew. <laughs> Another little... Plus, a lot of the characters, I think, in Death of the Outsider kind of look like Granny Rags. A lot of the old ladies. <laughs> That you see, they, they kind of look like Granny Rags. I don't know if that's just because they didn't want to invest the time to create different appearances, or they're trying to harken back to the first game.
1: No, I don't know.
0: <laughs> a, a, a lot of the elderly women you encounter in the game it's look true, a lot yeah. like Granny Rags. Especially the, the cultist at the end of the game. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, obviously, we'll get to that. But yeah, so, of course, Billy Lurk was Megan Foster in Dishonored 2. She's gone looking for Dowd, and this bit about the albaca bathhouse is the only lead she's got. She's still the captain of the dreadful whale but the dreadful whale is is flooding it's leaking the engine is making all kinds of weird noises it's on its last leg nevertheless
1: <laughs> yeah time,
0: you know um so she's like she she'll be able to make it to Karnaka on the boat and that's about it pretty much um so she gets to Karnaka and then you you uh, get off the boat and basically you're, the first mission is very straightforward you don't have any powers yet because you haven't met the outsider so you you get off the boat you sort of sneak past some guards and some ravenous wolfhounds, and you make your way to the albaca bathhouse. Um, shoot, shoot, I forgot a little bit of context. Oh, what's up? But uh, at, along the way, you learn that Billy's been having dreams about her right eye and her right arm going missing. Right, now, as, yeah. as we remember in Dishonored 2, she was actually missing her right eye and her right arm because she got into a fight with some of the, the Grand Guard, who are sort of the police force in Um mm-hmm.
1: uh,
0: But we can, if we go back in time, we can prevent those things from happening and give her back her arm and her eye, which is canon what we do. Uh, but she's having dreams that her right arm and right eye are missing. Now, if you played Dishonored 2, your first instinct is to think well, that's just because, you know, we went back in time and gave her back her arm and her eye, right? was, so right. res- But it's actually a bit of foreshadowing, as we'll see. because oh. <laughs> she, she, she is going to lose her arm and her eye, in a sense, <laughs> a little bit later on. Uh, so that's <laughs> actually a So you think it's a callback to Dishonored 2, but it's actually a clever bit of foreshadowing.
1: Very um, bloodborne.
0: Yeah, very bloodborne. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up in a, in a clinic with no memory and <laughs> go about your adventure. <laughs>
1: yeah. Seek pale blood to transcend the hunt. Yeah. What
0: does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> you guys made as much sense of it as anyone could have made. I think in that.
1: Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you
0: thank know, you. but yeah. So as we know, they're, they're holding Dowd at the bathhouse and they're making him fight for. They're holding prize fights and they're betting winning because people are betting on him or betting against him or whatever. Yeah. And uh, we've ex- talked about the Isla. So as soon as you get to the bathhouse, you come across this woman. Basically, you come into the bathhouse, right? And the place where you need to go is blocked by a locked door. Mm-hmm. Um, And there's a woman sitting outside named Eleanor. That's her name. Eleanor. And she's a she used to be a witch working for Delilah back in the day. And now, like most of the rest of them, she's disaffected. She wants to re- restore her connection to the Void, but she doesn't have any way to do that. Uh, but she offers to open up the door for you for a hundred coin. And now, they, In theory, you could get in there some other way, but I find it easier just to pay her the hundred coin and have her open up the door. Um, but there are, as always in Dishonor, there are other ways you can
1: yeah.
0: get in. Um, so assuming you go ahead and pay her, she won't attack you, uh, even though you're technically in a hostile area. Unless there are like other gang members nearby and you provoke them, then she'll attack you. But she's got a, a bit of an interesting story. She has a friend named Marina. And Marina used to have a friend named Maudy, But Maudy had the misfortune of fighting Dowd in the ring and getting killed. So after Dowd killed Maudy in the fight, Marina decided to leave the Islas and take a job as a guard in some place called Windown, which is one of the cities in the Empire. And she leaves a note asking Eleanor to come visit her if she can. So there's A little bit of a sad story there. A little yeah. bit of a backstory. I find
1: a lot of notes that you read in The Death of the Outsider are kind of sad, where people are sort of trying to better themselves or to reconnect mm-hmm. with people they love. And then you just are. kill everyone,
0: <laughs> pretty much. Because <laughs> you know, Dow's pretty brutal when he's when he fights. You know, he's he oh, killed yeah. he killed uh, Maldi, and some Marina leaves, and now Eleanor's just kind of hanging around doing what the Isles do. Yeah. Which they when when the Isles recruit people, they promise them, you know, oh, we know how to connect with the void, we know how to give you magical powers, but all they really do is like carve bone charms and get drunk and fight.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, they, pretty they much. Don't really do much, <laughs> you know.
0: Um, so his first version is really straightforward. You, you explore the area, you collect little notes, you collect little items, and basically your goal is, like, soon after you get into the bathhouse, you, you look, like there's the rink, and there's this little area below the ring, and in that little area below the ring, you hear this weird noise emanating from it, and you see that Dowd is strapped to a chair down there,
1: uh-huh. and
0: this machine is bombarding him with sonic waves that are suppressing his powers, that's how they control him. Right. Um, and I think it's basically the same concept as the as the overseer music boxes, right? That that play that yeah, music those, and it yeah. suppresses your powers. I think it's the same basic concept.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. So that's how they keep him sort of under control. And you find a note because this woman named this woman named Jeanette Lee is in charge of the bathhouse. She's in charge of the fights. And she leaves a note basically saying, you know, don't touch the machine. Repeat, don't touch the machine. If he gets loose, he'll kill us all.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: which is which is which is actually true.
1: Yeah.
0: Because if if you haven't killed or incapacitated every single person in that place, as soon as you freed out, he'll go off and kill or incapacitate everybody that you left alone. <laughs> like, if you've been killing people, he'll kill them. But if you've been knocking them out, for the most part, he'll just knock them out. It depends yeah. on what
1: you do. I found that really interesting, though. Depending on what you do, he'll act accordingly.
0: Yeah, he will. And that's kind of a theme, you know? If you're violent and brutal, then the other characters will tend to be violent and brutal as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And they'll tend to be cynical towards you. So it's kind of neat how they kind of weave that in there and things kind of depend on the choices you um, but we kind of skipped ahead a little bit. But that's basically <laughs> it, though. You, you, like, the, Jeanette Lee has the key on her person in one way or another. Whether you kill her, whether you knock her out, whether you pickpocket her, you're going to get the key off of her. Then you're going to turn Dowd loose. And that's basically the mission, more or less. <laughs> uh, once you do that, once you turn Dowd loose, you can explore the place at will, because either you will have killed everybody or knocked everybody out, or he will. Yeah. So you can kind of explore the place. And there there are bone charms, and there are notes, and there are things to be once Dowd gets loose, he asks you to help him with one last job, and you say, okay, cool, who's the mark? And he basically says, it's the outsider. <laughs> like the, the black-eyed bastard who's responsible for all the cults and all the witchcraft and all the black magic and everything else. We're going to kill the outsider, because I've found a, a lead on a knife that can that can do the trick. The knife that made him, the knife that can kill him, which is the twin-bladed knife. So Billy's like, holy crap, what have I got myself into? But she doesn't turn him <laughs> down. She says, o- okay, Dowd, yeah, we'll do it. Sure thing, <laughs> bro, yeah. Yeah. And then later on, she leaves a note to herself. She's like, you know, I-, I thought things would be awkward, but we're just right back in it. Like, we never left each other. Yeah. yeah. And he-, he just asked me to do this. Like, I wouldn't refuse. Well, I didn't, did I? <laughs> <laughs> so she's just like, here I am. Yeah. Following Dowd into the pits of hell again. <laughs> just, just like I used to. But um, honestly, I think probably, the, aside from reconnecting with Dowd, because Dowd in some ways is one of the most interesting characters in the whole series. Um, aside from reconnecting with Doubt, I think one of the, the more interesting aspects of this mission are the contracts, because in this game, you've got like contracts you can fulfill. If you get to the black market shop, because most missions have a black market shop. If you get there, you can find the people opposed to these contracts, and if you fulfill the contracts, you'll get special rewards at the end of the mission, like money or bone charms or whatever. And uh, just for reference, bone charms are like pieces of whale bone or sometimes human bone that have been carved with like r- special runes, and they have magical properties that can give you, like, increased health or special abilities or whatever. Some little boost. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bone charms in this game are probably more powerful because they kind of take the place of runes, which you used to use to upgrade your powers. There are no runes in this game. So all the upgrades to your abilities are through bone charms. So you get some really top-notch bone charms in this game compared to the earlier games. Uh, But anyway, that's neither here nor there. (laughs) So the the, the two contracts in this mission are pretty fun. One is called Burn the White Hound, and the other is Industrial Espionage. (laughs) And in Burn the White Hound, you come to learn that Jeanette Lee kind of keeps people in line because she keeps these vicious wolf hounds pinned up in a cage. And she, you know, she finds bums off the street and, and feeds the bums to the hounds every now and again to keep them vicious. Yeah. You know, they, to inculcate a taste for human blood with them. Now you find notes telling how she's like, uh, well, let's go, time to go find another bum and feed him to the hounds.
1: Yeah, she's so spoopy.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's pretty spoopy. She's pretty savage.
1: Yeah.
0: And and among these hounds is a white wolfhound called Milky.
1: Aww.
0: And Milky was taken from his owner. Yeah. And ba- basically the contract is, look, Jeanette Lee has my Milky. He's old. He's riddled with disease. I want you to kill him, and I want you to burn his body. Yeah. And so that's basically the contract. He's in the cage with the other hounds. And well, I think what most people do is they open the cage, they kill all the wolfhounds, including Milky. And then there's an incinerator nearby, conveniently. Because mm-hmm. in Dishonored, there's always an incinerator when you need one. Yeah, uh, it's very incin-
1: convenient. <laughs>
0: like, in, like in the boss fight with Granny Rags, you have to burn the cameo to kill her, and then there's conveniently a furnace nearby. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there's a, you can put the dog's body in the incinerator and burn it, and that's also a convenient way to dispose of bodies that you killed if you don't want people to find them. You can stick them in the incinerator yeah. and
1: burn. What it. What I do when I do a high chaos run, I'll just put anyone in the incinerator,
0: right? And yeah. you, that way, because it completely destroys the body, there's no yeah. trace left. So that's burn the whitehound. That's pretty straightforward. You have to mm-hmm. kill Milky because his owner feels sorry for him.
1: Yeah.
0: And of course, he's 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 the only white wolf found in the cage. You can tell it's him. Um. But the other one is much more interesting. It's called industrial espionage. Now, prize fights are not the only way that the Isilis have to make money.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They, they also manufacture this stuff called uh. It's it's like plague bull rat spirit. <laughs> Like, you remember at Dishonored 1 that the rat plague was spread by these rats called bull rats that were shipped in from Pandesia, which is a mainland continent far away from the Empire. Well, uh, the Islas are producing liquor that is distilled from the bodies and the blood of the same bull rats that carried the plague in Dishonored 1.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: and when you buy a bottle of it, the, the corpse of the rat is still inside the bottle when you purchase it. That's that's how you get it at the point of sale. Now this is vile stuff. Like if you find a bottle of it and toss it at somebody, they'll be disoriented and they might, they might even they might even puke because yeah.
1: it, it releases this green nox cloud. You mean that's some good stuff?
0: That's, that's some strong liquor, right there. Now there's actually an achievement if you can get enough people to puke by throwing oh, rat God. liquor at them. It's like a trophy. or an achievement. Aww. Now, the stuff is absolutely noxious, but it sells like hotcakes.
1: Uh-huh. And so
0: th- the point of industrial espionage is a competing brewery wants you to bring it the recipe <laughs> for the rat liquor and to destroy the Islis' stock.
1: So basically, it's the equivalent of, like, the secret Coca-Cola recipe.
0: Basically, yeah, you're trying to sneak in <laughs> and destroy the secret Coca-Cola. Although, I-, I dare say Coca-Cola's a lot more pleasant to drink than this stuff. <laughs> I- I- I've thrown it. I haven't thrown it at anyone, but I've thrown it, and it does... Br- it does burst into this green noxious cloud and if you step into <laughs> like if you step into the cloud, it'll actually cloud your vision and disorient you a little bit. <laughs> it's it's really now I it's really nasty stuff, and I took the liberty of taking down the recipe because you find the recipe that's part of the contract. Mm-hmm. And so the recipe calls for one living bull rat, nine red potatoes, and three drops of wormwood oil. <laughs> the first step is you drain the rat's blood into a large cooking uh, pot. gross <laughs> <laughs> And then you boil that with potatoes on a red hot stove and add wormwood when the mash forms. Then you strain the brew into copper vats with the rat corpse. smelter it for one full moon cycle. Strain it into a bottle. Wear a mask or you'll puke. <laughs> and, then you, and then you seal the rat inside with the liquor.
1: Oh my god.
0: <laughs> and that's just, that stuff sells like hotcakes even though it's absolute <laughs> poison. <laughs> and then oh. the note says, don't steal a squiff or Jeanette Lee's gonna toss you to the hounds. <laughs> no. Or you'll be hounds meat because that's part of their business. So that to me, that was a pretty fun contract because you're destroying yeah. this noxious liquor. And then there, you see, actually, see signs up for it. You know, like plague rat spirit liquor, brave the sensation.
1: <laughs> you know, Fallout. We got a um, Fallout recipe cookbook. I wonder if Dishonored has like a drinks book.
0: Oh, like I, I, I think I've actually seen something like that. Like on YouTube, there's like a video I think for like dishonored cocktails.
1: Yeah, there we go.
0: <laughs> I don't remember who the I don't remember whose channel it is, but I've it showed up in my feed of recommended videos because I, you know, watched a video or two on dishonored, mm-hmm. and it, uh, someone actually took the time to put together some cocktail recipes from the dishonored games.
1: Oh, that's pretty cool.
0: I don't. I'm I'm sure that this particular recipe. Probably not one they're going to recommend you make because it's got <laughs> a rat corpse and rat blood. Oh
1: God! Yeah, <laughs> all, this,
0: all this other stuff. But, you know, it's uh. So yeah, that, that something like that does exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to make some dishonored cocktails, like I said, I can't remember whose whose channel it is, but I know that it, it's been recommended to my feed. Uh, dishonored cocktails. <laughs> so I guess if you go to YouTube and search dishonored cocktails, it'll come up. But yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. <laughs> And so once you uh free Dowd, like some guards will show up and you'll have to get your make your way past them back to the dreadful whale. Um and Dowd will be on the boat, waiting to brief you on your next mission. Yeah. Which is called Follow the Ink. So Dowd has come to learn, A, that there's this knife that can kill the outsider, the twin bladed knife. Right. Because it's it's the knife that made him what he is, and so it can it can kill him in theory. And Dowd has learned that there's more to the eyeless than, you know, the thugs and drunkards and brawlers you encounter at the bathhouse. They're actually a very powerful, influential and sophisticated organization with leaders who rank very high in the aristocracy and commerce of society. Right? Um, he, I, he Dowd has learned or theorizes that the eyeless leaders in Karnaka are keeping the knife hidden somewhere in the upper Syria district. And so our task is to find out who these leaders are and learn the location of the knife. You know, it seems pretty straightforward, yeah. I guess. Yeah. And so, one of the once the mission begins, one of the first places that you are likely to visit is a salon and tattoo parlor called the Red Camellia. And you know, they you could get you know massages and facials and haircuts and things like that there, and tattoos. Um, they have a lot of upper crust clientele, including those eyeless leaders. And that, incidentally, is where all of the eyeless gang members get their signature tattoo. Like, there's a very distinctive tattoo that identifies you as a member of the eyeless gang. Right. Um, and there are certain places you can't get into without that tattoo because it identifies you, again, as a member of the gang. Um, and so we'll, we'll come back to that later. That's an important part of one aspect of the mission. Um, and the Red Camellia provides an array of services. Now, the standard services are pretty ho-hum. You got your scissor hairdressing, You got your Sochronos mineral wash and your full-spectrum hair tinting. The same kind of stuff you would find at any salon. But now the signature treatments are much more interesting. The first is uh, a fetal rat paste facial. You can (laughs) have someone rub on your face paste that is made from fetal rats. Unborn rats. (laughs) Unborn rats taken from the womb and made into paste. (laughs) Oh my goodness. The second one is living leech treatment to draw out your inner beauty.
1: Oh my god.
0: (laughs) So let some leeches suck on you to draw out your inner beauty. And... And the final one is a little bit less sexy. It's Injections of Attermeyer's Solution. Which, again, was (laughs) recalled. (laughs) Mainly because an earlier version might have turned someone into a raving psychopath.
1: (laughs) Yeah. The last one sounds like something you'd get in the real world.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It kind of does with Botox and
1: everything. Yeah, there we go.
0: Of course, back in the day, they actually used to treat medical ailments with leeches because they thought bleeding True. I think I think it was bleeding that killed George Washington because he was sick and so they bled him with leeches and died because of it. Was- oh, really? Uh, yeah, or they bled him with leeches or just bled him with cuts, but back in the day it was believed that bleeding, like if you got enough ble- bad blood out of your system, it would cure your disease.
1: Oh my god, what if it was door?
0: It That would make perfect sense. Yeah. With the blood litter, just bled <laughs> George Washington to death.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's the compatriot his set is talking about.
0: That's right. It, it, it was George Washington who turned into the Claret Beast and Brador had to kill him.
1: Oh my god.
0: Deepest lore confirmed.
1: Confirmed.
0: And, but they were good, man. I'm telling you. Nobody predicts content like you, Sin. I'm telling you. <laughs> but yeah, so searching around the Red Camellia, you find the appointment book. Now, the Eilus's signature tattoo is very distinctive and not at all hard to figure out. It's called the Cultist Blessing. <laughs> who couldn't figure that out? And so you find that only three appointees are booked to receive the Cultist Blessing tattoo. One is identified only by initials, DM. We'll later learn that this is Dolores Michaels, director of the Dolores Michaels Bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who likes to name things after herself. I guess. <laughs> Dolores <laughs> Michaels Bank. We'll, we'll hear a lot more from her in the next mission. Great. Uh, the second one is a guy named Sean Yoon. And the third is a guy named Ivan Jacoby. From the appointment book, we glean that these are the three eyeless leaders in Upper Syria. And the rest of the mission is going to revolve around the two we know, which are Sean Yoon and Ivan Jacoby. You find a note uh, from Michael's bank indicating that there there is a joint account between Yoon and Jacoby for kind of a safe deposit box or a lockbox, which is inside the bank's state-of-the-art vault designed by Kieran Jindosh, a character we heard a lot about in Dishonored 2. Thanks the erstwhile grand inventor to the Duke of Sirkonos, whom we either killed or made stupid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Yun and Jacoby each have a key to the box. Both keys are required to access it. From this information, plus a note that we find from Dolores Michaels, we surmise that this box is where the knife is. Mm-hmm. So our task becomes to steal the keys from Sean Yun and Ivan Jacoby. Now these are two both very interesting characters. You find out a lot about them as you go through. Uh, Sean Yun is, as you know, a celebrity singer from Tivia, who recently relocated to Karnaca.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He's called the Boreal Songbird. He has a beautiful voice, and everybody loves him, and he's very wealthy and highly celebrated, and his concerts always sell out, and <laughs> audiographs of his songs always sell a lot of copies. He's doing very well for himself. But uh, recently, he's hit a creative block. He's very, very dissatisfied with the songs that he's been writing lately. Now, he says people will just... Buy tickets and come to see me, but that's just because I'm famous and good looking. But I'm not making good songs anymore, and I, I I want to re inspire myself to be creative. Right. And so na- so naturally, he falls in with the with the eyeless cult and participates <laughs> and participates in various occult rituals to contact the outsider and experience the void and stimulate his creativity.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> how else would you get inspired? <laughs> Let's be realistic.
0: Naturally, <laughs> I'm gonna fall in with this cult and participate in. Sometimes violent and arcane rituals.
1: <laughs> yeah, because when I don't know what to record, I just look up a cult in the Yellow Pages. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah, go sacrifice some goats and do some chants, and all of a sudden you're inspired again.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, he doesn't want to be followed for his good looks and his and his fame. He wants to produce good songs again.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> he's, he's just not feeling it. You know. Um. So he's fallen in with the Ilyas, and he's done a lot for them. And he he partic- he participates in the. Sanguine extraction ritual, which we'll get to. It's pretty. Bizarre. Oh yeah. Um, and so when you usually, I I think usually I steal the key, I steal his key first. I mean, you can you can do Jacoby first, or you can do him first. I usually do him first. And mm-hmm. so there are there are two ways into his house. One is through the Spectator Club, which you can't get into, or which the guard won't let you into unless you have the eyeless tattoo, and you can give yourself the tattoo with the Red Camellia. Um, of course, Billy Lurk is no tattoo expert, so when the guy at the front door sees it, he's like, man, Eolina's getting sloppy. Eolina's <laughs> the owner of the Red Camellia, and, mm-hmm. and also Sean Yun's, um, she's his kind of secret girlfriend.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: And one way you can actually get into his house is that uh, they have a secret knock. That if she, she, if she does the secret knock, his servants are instructed to admit her right away, no questions asked. Because one night, she knocked on the door and couldn't get in because he had instructed his servants not to let anyone in to disturb him while he was trying to compose. And so she couldn't get in. So they, he devised this system of a secret knock, and the note describes the secret knock pr- pretty well. So so if if you find the note and you use the secret knock, the servants will let you in, and then you can you kill them or knock them out or whatever
1: mm-hmm. you want to do. Yeah.
0: Um, that's one way. And then the other way is to get into this spectator club, because there's there's like an above-ground passageway that directly connects Sean Yoon's apartment or his residence with the Spectator Club, which is basically Isla's headquarters in, in Karnaka. That's where all the, the gang members and the cultists go to hang out and partake, and partake in their weird rituals. So you can have a lot of fun exploring inside the club and you know messing people up and finding things. Um, so those are the two ways to get into his house. And once you get into his house, um, you find that... Uh, Of course, his mansion is protected by the Grand Guard, and he's got various security measures and all that kind of stuff. His key is hidden in a safe that is accessible only by the sound of him singing a specific song, which he can change. Mm -hmm. Now, he doesn't have to be there to sing it personally. If you play an audiograph of him singing the correct song, the safe will open. Um, Of course, you find several audiographs of his songs, and you'll find a note that tells you the right one. I'm not sure whether it's random or whether it's fixed. Um, I think when I played through, the correct song was... Release thy golden locks, Gloriana! But <laughs> You know, it could have been a different one. <laughs> because it's like, Release thy golden locks, Gloriana. There's Born in the Month of Darkness, and then there's uh, Among the Oxrush Blooms. So I think those are the three you can find. There may be another. And then you just put the right one in and play it, and then the safe will open up for you. Now at this point, you can, once you go into Yun's bedroom, he'll be there, and he'll, he'll be immediately hostile to you. You can kill him, or you can incapacitate him. If you leave him alive, after the mission's over, he will flee Karnaka, fearing retribution from Dolores Michaels and the Eilis for losing the key to the safe. Mm -hmm. He'll cancel all of his remaining concerts to his fans' great disappointment. Uh, But at this point, he's scared for his life, so he's like, forget you guys, I'm out (laughs) of (laughs) here. Because if you fall in with the Eilis, you don't want to run afoul of them, because they'll kill you. Uh, So that's Shan Yun, pretty much. Uh. Now we get to Ivan Jacoby, who's also a very colorful character. He's a a city administrator in Karnaka. He's the head of the Division of Bridges, Roads, and Cemeteries. Bridges, Roads, and Cemeteries. Why would there be one department for bridges, roads, and cemeteries?
1: Why? I I don't don't know. (laughs) Are they burying people? And then building a road over them?
0: (laughs) Well, sort of. Like, he is... He 's kind of made a name for himself speaking out against the practice of regraving, and basically what it means is people who've already been buried in cemeteries are being dug up and relocated to make room for development. Mm-hmm. and so he thinks this is a very crude and disrespectful practice, so he's made a great name for himself speaking out against the practice of regraving um but of course he's a kind of a serial killer on the side, but we'll, 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, Let's, first, let's talk about getting his key, I guess. Okay. His key to the vaults, he keeps it in his office, but you also – one way to get into his office is to, to – there's a key to his office, and the key to the vault is in the office. So you need the key to the office to get in the office so you can get the key to the vault. Um, now, there's, there's probably other ways into his office because in Dishonored, there's almost always multiple ways to get anywhere. Um, but probably the most straightforward way to get into, to get into his office is to steal the key, which he keeps on his person at all times. Right. You come to find out he's at Calibron Plaza practicing for a speech. And, and he's surrounded by guards. And there are various ways you can get there. Uh, you can just walk, walk in and kill everybody, including him, and take the key. Um, you can use your power called... Uh, oh, shoot. I forgot. After the last mission, right? Between the first and the second mission, the outsider appears to you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So let me just, just back up that. to... <laughs> between the first and the outsider appears to you. Now, yeah. usually yeah. when this happens... He'll offer you his mark, which carries certain powers that you upgrade by collecting runes. You know, that's the usual case. This time, Mm -hmm. he's like, you don't want my mark, do you? So he just kind of tackles you to the ground, takes your arm, takes your eye, and replaces each with an artifact from the void. (laughs) He takes your right hand, and in its place, he gives you the, I think it's called the black shard hand. It's like your hand is this this weird black, it looks like black rock or something. And it's basically taken from the void and is connected to the rest of your arm by these weird wooden pikes. It looks really weird. And everybody knows, apparently everybody can see it. Everybody knows it. Yeah. And that's what gives you your powers. Like dis- displace, and, which allows you to go from one place to another quickly. Kind of like Blink, but a little different. Because you have to place this marker, and then you place that mm-hmm. marker and you can teleport directly to the marker. So it's a little more involved than, than Blink was. Um, but you get a bone charm that lets you go quickly the same way Blink used to. So it, it's kind of like Blink once you get that particular bone charm.
1: Right.
0: And then you have this power called uh, semblance, which if you knock somebody unconscious or – as long as somebody's alive, really, unconscious or not, you can basically steal their face. And if they're conscious, once you steal their face, they are go unconscious. Now, you can't do it with a corpse, so it's kind of an incentive to keep people alive a little bit. And you can use that to impersonate people and get into places where if you went in in your true form, you'd be attacked. And then uh, there's, you have a couple other powers, like Foresight lets you leave your body and kind of see through walls and stuff, kind of like Dark Vision used to. And you can also place displace markers, and so it, it allows you to get places you couldn't get to otherwise. And then, uh, of course, you can talk to rats. They do all sorts of cool stuff. And so, you have, so by the time you get to the second mission, you have these powers. And he also takes your right eye and replaces it with this little uh, shard that, as we'll learn later, is a piece of the Eye of the Dead God, but we'll, we'll get to that. And it, the eye, let, that, that eye lets you kind of see things you couldn't see otherwise. Um, but it never closes, so Billy can't really sleep very well because her right eye now never closes, and so she always sees everything. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, that's a little annoying. Maybe she should get like an eye patch.
0: Yeah, exactly. Put like a patch over it so that it blocks out all the light. Because she, she, she writes in her journal about how annoying it is because every little movement, every little light wakes her up because she can't close that eye. So it's like this black rock in place of her eye, and it's got this little red sort of luminous center to it. It looks kind of weird. Um, but it, it, both of those are artifacts from the void, and so that's why you don't have to replenish your mana, because they draw power directly from the void. and So you have like a constant supply of energy from the void. Yeah. So you have kind of glossed over something important
1: there. <laughs> <laughs> kind of forgot about it.
0: So the outsider appears to you, tackles you, takes your arm and your eye, gives you repl- these replacement artifacts, and then he, and he, and he goes away. He's like, you don't want my mark, but I'm going to force these powers on you. Because he, even though he knows you're trying to kill him, he helps you. And so you're like, hmm, this is suspicious. Yeah, of course, as we come to learn later, he has motivations for why he's doing what
1: he's doing. Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, anywho, so yeah, fast forward again back to Jacoby. Um, he's at Colibron Plaza practicing for his speech, and so you can go there and take the key from him. You can Probably the most straightforward way to get there is just to use semblance to impersonate someone who's allowed to be there. That way you can just kind of walk up to him and be careful, you can just pickpocket it from him. Of course, there's a trap door there, and if you can kind of get him to go on top of the trap door, you can release it. He'll fall and land on his butt, and it'll be embarrassing, and you'll get an achievement for it. <laughs> <laughs> or you can do like I did the first time I played through, which is just walk up in there and kill everybody, including him, and take the key. <laughs> I didn't do that the second time, though. The second time, I made sure to leave him alive because you can actually get him arrested a little bit later. That's one way to get the key, and then you get the key to his office, you get into his office, and you get the key to the vault. Um, but you also come to find out that there's a journalist for the, uh, I think the Karnaka Gazette or the, some local newspaper, who believes that Jacoby is responsible for a, or complicit in a series of murders right. in which the bodies have been completely drained of blood. So you're like, well, is he a vampire or something? Oh, this is weird, right? You're finding all these bodies drained of blood, and this reporter believes that Jacoby is complicit in those murders. And so one of the one of the special actions you can do in the mission is to go into Jacoby's office, and you know like everything in dishonor, the evidence is hidden behind a painting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: so you go into his office and you find that in a safe hidden behind a painting, there's all this evidence that implicates him in what's called what the game calls the uh sanguination ritual. Basically what happens is they'll they'll find some poor dude and they'll take him to the uh to the club we were talking about, and they'll strap him to this chair and they'll they'll drain him of his blood. Basically, they'll drain the blood from the donor and transfer it directly into the customers. Like, there'll be three people in one room, and the donor will be in a separate room hooked up to the machine, and the blood will flow directly from the donor. And I say donor loosely because he's not really choosing to do it. He's being forced to. The blood will flow directly from the donor Mm -hmm. to the customers until the donor is dead. And the theory behind this is that when we're on the verge of death, we can kind of see into the void and experience the void more than we can when we're alive and healthy. And so, not wanting to go near death themselves, they think that that if they infuse themselves with the blood of someone who's dying, they'll be able to have visions and experiences with the Void, right? So that's the idea behind it. And you find evidence that Mm -hmm. implicates Jacoby in these murders. It's an eyeless thing. They're always looking for ways to study the Void. So, uh, Jacoby, uh, probably the most prominent murder was a pharmacist named, uh, Senfuegos, which we'll get to him, but he's a He was a very prominent pharmacist who was found dead, his body drained of blood. And that's the specific murder, actually, that you're going to implicate Jacoby for. So if you get this evidence and you take it to the reporter and you complete the mission, you come to find out that Jacoby's been arrested. You find a newspaper article saying he's been arrested. Um, And I think there's also – it's at least possible that you know, even though he's been arrested, you'll find him – maybe he got out on bail or something. You find him – he's hanging dead in his office. And it's sort of implied that the Eyeless cult is responsible for that, because they didn't want him, you know, revealing their secrets to anyone. Um, so you'll find him dead in his office, and you'll find two of the the, the thug-level Eyeless members sort of trying to clean up after him. You know, clean up all the evidence and stuff. So it's kind of gnarly. So you, you you can get him exposed as a murderer. And then, too, you find an audiograph where he's talking about the experience where he was exsanguinating someone and asking him all these questions about, do you see the outsider? Do you see the void? Tell me what you see. Tell me, dang it. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's
0: really creepy. It
1: was so spooky. It's really creepy,
0: yeah. <laughs> or she come to find out later that the man he killed, Senvuegos, was also a member of the Islas cult, but he, he, went, a little, he went off the reservation a little bit. Uh, you come to find out he stole some very important documents from Dolores Michaels, which pinpoint, which pinpoint where... The Eilus' real headquarters is and the secret place that they use to access the void, which you're going to need to do if you're going to assassinate the outsider, but it's a bit of foreshadowing. So, all, all sorts of stuff wrapped up in, in Jacobi, you know? And we've. So, yeah, so, you, so once you get the key from Jacobi and once you get the key from Sean Yun, that's essentially the mission. But there are a couple of interesting things you can do. One of them is there's, there's this crazy taxidermist in town. And, she, and she's the owner of a little shop called Brozenard Taxidermy. And she's very fascinated with blood, fi- blood flies. Of course, you remember the blood flies from Dishonored 2.
1: Oh, we remember, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> they, they, they infest corpses and build these nests and turn people into these sycophantic zombies who want to protect the nest and all this other stuff. Well, as it turns out, this crazy taxidermist has some blood flies in her basement. And what she does is she kidnaps people and deliberately... She deliberately infests them with blood flies because this is a way to harvest blood amber, which is kind of a byproduct of blood fly infestation, and it's very valuable. So she kidnaps people and feeds them to the blood flies to produce blood amber for coin. Well, that's not the only reason. She's also got this really weird morbid fascination with blood flies. Now she's keeping one poor guy locked in the basement, and of course he's slated to be fed to the blood flies soon. So you can save him if you want. Uh you can get let him out of there. Then if you want, you can stick the woman in the same cell where she kept the guy and then turned the blood flies loose on her, if you want. And in the next mission, if you come back to that place, you'll find the whole place overrun with blood flies and Billy will say, serves it right, blood flies are dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that's one little interesting thing. There are others, but that's one little interesting thing. Now coming back to San Fuegos, remember he's the guy that Jacoby hooked up to the machine and drained the blood. And that's the specific murder we implicated. He's, he's probably the most important person in this game we never meet. Uh, Because he has a lot to do with moving the plot forward and telling us where we have to go in order to complete our ultimate mission, which is to kill or not kill the Outsider. Um, He's a pharmacist and a painter who became utterly fascinated with the Void, and so naturally he fell in with the Cult of the Eyeless. Because everybody seems to do that. It seems to be all the rage. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a series of paintings called Impressions of the Void, because if you get into their inner circle, they actually have found a way to kind of tap into the Void and see it, you know. So he's actually seen the void when he was cloistered with them and studying with them. And so he's got a series of paintings called Impressions of the Void. And there's, a chief, there's an achievement if you can find them all. I haven't found them all yet. But they, they're, they're based on glimpses of the void. And later on, when you actually enter the void, you find out his paintings are pretty accurate. Um, he started dreaming – at some point along the way, he started dreaming at a, about a place called Shindere Peak, which is kind of the highest elevation in Karnataka, I guess. And there's like a, there's like a mine – there's like a silver mine there. That, and you come to find out later that's where the Islas' headquarters is. But He's having dreams about the place. So he, he's obsessed with it. He, he took a trip there and almost got killed but found nothing. And So he came back a little bit disillusioned but redoubled his determination to find out more about the Void. So eventually he went off the reservation and stole some documents that reveal the location of the Islas cult's headquarters and where they go and contact the Void. And he forwarded them to the Royal Conservancy to the Royal Conservatory, care of Brianna Ashworth, who was, as we remember, is Del- was Delilah's right-hand gal uh, in Dishonored too. And so the Islas had him killed because he stole the documents. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> he, he went off the reservation. Now Dolores Michaels, the head of the Dolores Michaels Bank, is desperate to get those documents back. Because those documents were sent to her. Because among all of the members of the Islas cult, only a tiny few are selected to come to Shindare Peak and live with them in their little commune that they have there. And the, the appeal of that is, the downside is you have to give up all of your worldly possessions, all of your connections in this life. And you have to go s- sleep on a cot and live in this austere, damp, dank environment in a mine on the side of a mountain <laughs> <laughs> for the rest of your life. The, the upside is that they promise you immortality. Because all this exposure to the void, they say, is going to make you immortal and eternal. So she's like, you know, everything that used to matter to me, power, influence, money, it's all nothing now. I just want to be immortal. And so, they actually, and so the Islas sent her correspondence indicating that she would be among the next group of people invited to come join them at their communion. And to that end, they sent her some documents that revealed the location of the commune. And she got explicit instructions. Guard these with your life. Study them carefully. Guard these with your life. And what has she done? She's gone and lost them. <laughs> <You know. laughs> or Sinfuego stole them from her <laughs> and forwarded them to Brianna Ashworth at the Royal Conservatory. Um, and so naturally, his, he was murdered by the Islas, and his pharmacy was foreclosed upon by Dolores Michaels Bank. Because naturally. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, no doubt that was done so that they would have the legal right to pilfer through his pharmacy and try to look for the documents. Yeah. Of course, that's actually a, a part of a string of apparently illegal foreclosures by Dolores Michaels Bank in the area, and there's all sorts of protests over that. Um, and in the next mission, you can actually sign a petition to stop the foreclosures. And naturally, that was started by Teresia Sanfuegos, who I'm not sure whether she's his wife or his daughter or his sister, but she's a close relative of his, and she helps him run, helped him run the pharmacy. Uh, so yeah, he's an interesting fellow, and he eventually gets us the information we need to find out where the IDAs are. Um, but later on, we're going to go to the Royal Conservatory to get it, but we haven't got there yet. So yeah, he stole the documents. He didn't shoot the deputy, but he did steal the documents. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs>
0: I stole the documents, but I did not shoot the deputy. <laughs> I know, and he suffered a terrible death by exsanguination. And so yeah, so basically the mission is essentially done once we get Yu- Sean Yun's key and Ivan Jacobi's key to the vault. So naturally, our next mission is to break into the bank and just steal the knife. The most heavily secured bank in the Empire. We gotta break into it.
1: <laughs> we like a challenge.
0: <laughs> we do. Now this mission too, before we leave it, has some very interesting contacts or contracts rather. Some interesting contracts that you can fulfill for some again, some reward at the end of the mission. The first one is called Kill the Bartender. You remember we talked about the Spectator Club, how that's where the Islas go and hang out and drain drain people's blood and all that yeah. stuff that they do. The client has a grudge against the bartender at the spectator club. We're not told exactly why, but she wants you to render him unconscious and naturally stash him in a crate on some rooftops nearby the Because, re- you know, in every Dishonored game, we're stashing people in crates. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, she wants you to render him unconscious and stash him in a crate on some rooftops nearby the red camellia. So The, the contract will fail if you go into the bar and kill him, <laughs> so you have to render him unconscious and stick him in.
1: Which can be challenging because the bar is full of people.
0: They won't be immediately hostile to you when you go in, but as soon as you do anything fishy, they'll turn hostile. You know, and, and there's a lot. I, I di- this last playthrough. I died in there several times It's because there were so many people. <laughs> you know, and it took me a while to figure out the best strategy to kind of take them all out while leaving the bartender alive to fulfill the contract. So once you, so the contract is fulfilled once you incapacitate him and like with an electric bolt or something, or choke him out and stick him in the stick him in the crate. And the next contract is Death to the Mime. Now, I always feel a little bit bad about this one. Um, There's a famous mime in Upper Syria called Georgie Batello, also known as the Syrian Mime. Yes. Someone wants you to kill him and make it look like a suicide for the insurance money.
1: Yeah, that's kind of sad. Yeah. I wonder who it is, though.
0: The names of the clients are almost never revealed in these, so you don't really know. But It's someone who stands to benefit from the insurance money, so maybe it's like a spouse or something.
1: Yeah, probably.
0: Who just wants him dead. It's like, basically, the promised reward is, I'll split the insurance money with whoever can, you know, kill him and make it look convincing, i.e. I- make it look like a suicide. Yeah. You know, so what I do, yeah. it, it, this, one, this one makes me feel bad, but I want the reward. So <laughs> what I do is, you know, he's performing in the street. You know, it's just going about his business, performing in the street, apparently hurting no one. Uh hmm I'll go and I'll I'll choke him out, and then I'll take him to this place called Dead Man's Bluff. It's it's way high up, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a well known suicide spot, kind of like Lover's Leap. People tend to jump off there because it's so high up and kill themselves. So I'll render him unconscious. I'll take him to Dead Man's Bluff, and I'll just toss him over. Aww. And once he you know hits the bottom, that fulfills the contract. Yeah. Uh, and I always feel bad about it, but I always want the reward. So I'm just like, <laughs> it's it's just, just a video game. It's just a video <laughs> game. Goodbye. <laughs> Uh-huh. But that one always makes me feel bad. For all you can tell, the guy did nothing. Uh, maybe there's some little note somewhere that says something bad that he did, but I haven't found it. You know, best I can tell, he, he's just performing on the street, trying to make people happy and earn a living. And you come and kill him for, for the insurance <laughs> money.
1: <laughs> but
0: the uh, next contract is called Workplace Harassment. This one feels a little more justifiable. The client is an employee at Dolores Michaels Bank. A certain customer is repeatedly going to the bank and harassing and threatening this person. So the client wants you to kill that particular customer and her associates. As you go along, you'll find a member of the eyeless gang named Armanda. She's also, I think, a former Brigmore witch under Delilah. You go into the bank and you'll find her harassing one of the clerks, who is presumably the client. Now don't kill her right away. Instead, you have to let her leave and follow her, and she'll lead you to the person she's working for, a well-dressed dude you kill them both at that point, that will fulfill the contract. and You'll get the reward. And finally, there's the missing brother. This this one actually gives you a little bit of insight into the not maybe not the, the key lore to the game, but kind of the, the overall story. Because it has to do with the exsanguination ritual. The client's brother is a dentist named Alberto. He's gone missing. So the client wants you to find Alberto and take him to a particular cabin down by the canal, which is basically down where you kind of start the mission. Um, so you come to learn that Alberto became interested in the sanguine infusion ritual, and so he went to the spectator club to participate. Instead, he was kidnapped and strapped to the machine and forced to be a donor for the procedure. When you, ent- when you enter the club, he actually is strapped to the chair, and his blood is being pumped from him into three customers who are sitting in the next yeah, room. Yeah,
1: so creepy.
0: Really, really creepy, yeah. But they say they have visions and, and trances, you know, while the, the ritual is going, because they think it brings them closer to the yeah. void. As we explain, um...
1: Mhm. And if you think about it, it's not very like safe or sanitary oh
0: goodness, no. Cuz
1: Cause, cause what if he has like something some disease or something? What if he has
0: some Leo you know, that's transmitted by blood and you, you catch it? Yeah. You know, I don't I don't know what procedures they have in place to <laughs> make sure that their subjects are are healthy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You know, so it, it's 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 really really bad. Um
1: Yeah, I would recommend against
0: him. Absolutely, no. I would too. <laughs> Basically, you want to rescue Alberto, keep him alive, and take him down to the cabin. Now, you you have the option when you find the machine to reverse the flow of blood and kind of give the uh, recipients a taste of their own medicine. It's yeah. like the machine has explicit instructions. Do not reverse the flow of blood, you know, from the <laughs> customers to the donor. Do not do it. Uh-huh. So naturally, if you do that, it'll... Now, you don't have to do it to complete the contract, but it's just something you can do for flavor. Give them a taste of their own medicine. Yeah. So that is the second mission. Um... <laughs> Follow the Ink, I think was the name of that mission, in case we didn't say it. And it's mission two. Mm-hmm. A lot going on in that particular mission. The, the later one should be a bit less involved. Um, now, the third mission is probably my favorite in the game in terms of sheer gameplay. Uh, it's called The Bank Job. You know, you, it's a bank heist. Well, not so much a rob, you're, going, you're infiltrating the bank and stealing the knife, which is a lot more complicated than it sounds.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Now, at this point, Dowd is still alive. He's on your boat, drinking your whiskey.
1: Living the dream. Yeah,
0: living the dream, sitting on your boat, drinking your whiskey, giving you advice. <laughs> so So before the mission you meet with Dowd to discuss, you know, the various ways to get inside the bank. Basically there are three. One is through the trash disposal, one is through the sewers, and one is through the rooftop entrance. Which that's my favorite. Um so after you talk with Dowd and kind of get your bearings, you you go to the you go back to Karnaka and you start the mission. Um i think I think the most efficient way to get there is through the rooftop, but you can also go through the sewer and the trash disposal It's like basically to get to the trash disposal there's a, there's a guy named Annibal Garca. or garza he's a custodian at the bank. Uh, he lives right above the crazy taxidermist that we encountered in the last mission so you'll find a note indicating that he naturally went to a very sheer drop nearby the bank to recover a valuable watch of course he didn't make it uh, he fell to his death and you see his corpse partway down the drop now of course you can use this place to get there pretty easily and you'll find the key on his body which will let you access the trash disposal and get inside the bank by you know crawling inside the dumpster and kind of shooting a nearby switch and doing all the machinations there and it'll it'll get you inside the bank now you don't necessarily have to get the key you can use like foresight and this place to kind of get past the locked door yeah um but it's, it's more fun to get the key because you can find maybe some goodies nearby as well So, you know, plus it it adds a little narrative flavor if you get the key, but you don't strictly have to. Because in Dishonored, we know that there's always more than one way to get just about anywhere. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which is, I think, actually one of the genius aspects of the level design in these games. That there's almost always more than one way to do things.
1: I was uh, recently replaying, um, uh, which one is it? I think the one with Doubt, the DLC with Doubt? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, uh, Knife of Dunwall or Brigmore Witches, whichever Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, I found a way to get through one of the levels that I've never seen before. <laughs> oh, yeah! Yeah, and I was so pleasantly surprised. Like, I played it a few times, and I found a new way to finish the level.
0: Oh, yeah, I've, I've played through the DLC multiple times, and each time, you know, I'll get through the levels a slightly different way, and it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's yeah, It enhances, like, the replay value, and it really just speaks yeah. to the care and thought they put into the level design.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, if they're smart for Dishonored 3... yeah every alternative way of finishing a level uh, will be a microtransaction. Absolutely. Yeah, you want to go through the rooftop, pay a dollar to make the elevator work, you know?
0: You better watch 50 ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One or the other. Oh my goodness, microtransactions. Oy. Thank you, Star Wars Battlefront 2. <laughs> and Assassin's Creed Origins. Oh Yeah. But anyway, yeah, I think I think there are some some micro not transgressions, transactions.
1: Microtransgressions! Oh, that's what they should be called now. Micro transgressions. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was
0: a Freudian slip.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: micro transgressions. <laughs> I, I just had a Freudian slip and <laughs> called them mm-hmm. what they are. <laughs> yeah. Micro abominations. <laughs> micro abominations. It's like it's one it's one thing if you're getting the app for free and paying for add-ons, you know, but it's like. You already paid for the game, and now you have to pay extra to get the yeah. extra stuff? I mean, come on. You
1: know? Yeah. It's, not, it's not cool at all.
0: You know. So that's the uh, tra- That's the trash disposal. You can also get in through the sewer, because would it be a Dishonored game without sewers to explore? No. No, ma'am, it would not. No. Because <laughs> yes, if it's Dishonored, you're going, to, you're going to go at least have the option to go in the sewers at some point.
1: Yeah, it's like the equivalent of the uh, swamps in Dark Souls. Yeah,
0: the obligatory poisonous swamp. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Valley of Defilement, and then Blight Town. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you know.
1: So, you know. Oh, speaking of which, if you go through the rooftop, you find something really interesting there.
0: Oh, you certainly do. Um, well, the rooftop is where you can put everybody to sleep. Ah, um,
1: uh-huh, but I'm talking about something else.
0: Oh, shoot. There's all sorts of stuff. Like, let's see, you can. Um, the only thing I really think about with the roof is putting everybody to sleep. There's some bone charms up there, too.
1: And there's... But there's one Easter egg. Oh. Do tell. You don't remember? I, oh. I'm drawing a blank, man. I swear I'm drawing a blank. I made a little video about it. Let me see if I can find it so I can link it to you.
0: I know in, in the bank there's an Easter egg up for Prey because one of the safes is owned by Morgan Yu. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like if you get into, it's either the vault or the basement. There's a safe that's owned by a person named Morgan Yu, who's the protagonist in Prey. Uh, so that's a nifty, that's a neat know. little Easter egg, because um, I played through prey, and unlike some, I actually pretty it felt like dishonored in space, so I kind of liked it, but you know the the jump scares get a little cheap after a while,
1: yeah,
0: yeah but aside from that, I thought it was pretty solid.
1: Okay, I'll send you the uh, the thing I'm talking about.: Oh, cool, so
0: there's an Easter egg. you know what? I'm probably just drawing a blank I probably saw yeah,
1: it. I think you are, I think you are.
0: Oh, cool, yep, got it. Hot dang. This is going to be fun. Oh, Discord picks right now to update. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's done updating. Cool. I have fast internet. This is good. Oh, 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 you're right. I remember that. Yes, it looks just like a Dark Souls bonfire. Yes. I noticed that. Matter of fact, I took, you know what? I took a screenshot, meaning to share it with you, and then I forgot all about it. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. It's like, it looks just like a Dark Souls bonfire upon the roof.
1: I thought it was pretty cute. I was like,
0: oh. Yeah, huh? I noticed that, but I have, if, if you've ever watched yeah. my, anybody who's watched my streams knows, I have, like, the world's worst short term. <laughs> I, I, I should have written it down, because that was actually something I meant to share with you, of course, you already knew about it, because you were a strategist.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm predicting your content. I'm predicting
0: my content, that's exactly right. But then I, I actually <laughs> took, But matter of fact, if I went into my PlayStation now, I would probably see that I took a screenshot of this. Yeah. <laughs> but then I just completely forgot about it. Like, oh, this will be cool for the podcast because it's a bonfire from Dark Souls. <laughs> and then I forgot all about it. Thank you for reminding me. Because, yeah, there, if, you, if you go on the rooftop, you'll find this little bonfire with this, like, this metal pike in it at a slant. And it looks just like a bonfire from Dark Souls. And it's pretty cool. That, that, that alone, I think, is reason to go up on the roof. Go through yeah. the rooftop entrance. But another reason is you can put everybody to sleep.
1: <laughs> yes, that's
0: because they like there's a stuff you can get called uh, laudanum, also known as poppy tincture. Um, and if you go on the roof and put it in the ventilation system, it'll put all the guards and all the bank personnel to sleep. Which it, it's not the same thing as like when you when you knock somebody out or choke them out. They, you could you know you could blow up a stick of dynamite next to their head; they wouldn't wake up, right? Nothing will wake them up. Yeah, they're they're, they're practically dead. You know, nothing can wake them up. But it's not, that's not the case here. When you put everybody to sleep in the bank with the loud in them. it's like if you make any noise, they'll wake up, right? So you have to yeah. be very quiet. Yeah. They, they're just asleep, and it's like a very light sleep.
1: Yeah, it was pretty stressful, because it's like, I hope not to step yeah. on them. Yeah, because
0: like, if you step on them, they'll wake up. If you like yeah. try to steal the money out of one of the cash registers, and it dings, they'll wake up. <laughs> and and there's, a, yeah. there's a contract that requires you basically to get in and out of the bank without being detected. <laughs> and not only without being detected, but you can't harm any personnel. And That includes just choking them out. Because mm-hmm. I tried that once. I figured, well, maybe if I just choke this person out and they, they can't wake up, maybe that'll make it easier.
1: Aww, but then the con- then the
0: contract failed because harming bank personnel, <laughs> you can't harm or be detected by bank personnel. Um, and harming includes just rendering them unconscious. So you, you have to get in and to fulfill that contract, you have to get in and out without even being detected at all. Um. And I always try to do that because it makes it a lot more challenging and a lot more fun, I think. But the only, I think your really only feasible way to do it is to put everyone to sleep. Because there are a lot of people in the bank. I mean, people everywhere. People mm-hmm. at desks, guards patrolling. There's people everywhere. So if you are going to try to get in, and get in and out without being detected at all, I think really the only feasible way is to use the poppy tincture and put everybody to sleep. Which, of course, there are a couple ways to get it. You can pay a lot of money to buy it at the black market shop, which I think it's like seven or eight hundred coin, which is a lot uh, when you're trying to buy upgrades and stuff for your gear.
1: Yeah. Oh, I forgot to say one thing. I wanted to mention it during the bank thing. Oh yes. because um, when you're in the bank, you can go, or maybe it's not, but at some point in some bank, maybe I'm thinking Dishonored too, you can rob the guy again, the guy that we always rob. What's Galvani? His name?
0: Yeah. That's this mission, yeah. Okay. He's got a safe in yeah. this bank and you can rob it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> every time we play a dishonored game, we've got to rob Galvani.
0: Absolutely. so no, I love it. Um, yeah. See, he, he, the reason he's got a safe deposit box at that bank is because he's been paranoid. He's been robbed so many times. <laughs> yeah. And he's like writing letters to the bank every day about their security precautions, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's like They just expect to get a letter from him every day asking about this and that and the other thing. I've been robbed so many times. But then he, yeah. but then he goes and and blabs that the the code to his vault has to do with the most important day in his life, and you find other notes indicating that that was when he met Anton Sokolov, and so you get the specific date. And so Aww. that's the combination.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know? I felt kind of bad for him. <laughs> I think in one of the walkthroughs, I like I didn't even steal from him. I was like, you've been through enough.
0: <laughs> I, I've stolen from you in every game. I, I, I've yeah. I've stolen from you as at least two different characters, maybe three. So. <laughs> Yeah. Because I like, I played through Dishonored Two with Corvo and Emily and with each one I stole from him. So it's like <laughs> And then Corvo steals from him in Dishonored One. <laughs> oh <Sorry.
1: Aww. laughs>
0: so he's always getting robbed.
1: Yeah. Or not
0: robbed. Not technically robbed. He's always having larceny perpetrated upon him.
1: <laughs> Wait, what's the difference?
0: Robbery is when you steal something from someone's person by force or intimidation. Okay. Whereas larceny is any kind of stealing. So robbery uh-huh. is just an aggravated form of larceny that involves, again, the force or intimidation to steal something from someone's person. So, like, if someone breaks into your house and steals from you, you've been burglarized, but you've not been robbed. Oh, well, uh-huh,
1: I see. Well, burglary is
0: breaking and entering into someone's house with intent to commit a felony, and larceny is a felony. So, you know, if you break into someone's house intending to steal, you've committed bur- burglary, and if you actually steal, you've committed larceny.
1: So... <laughs> So Corvus committing all of these potentially throughout all the games.
0: Oh, we we commit all sorts of crimes throughout.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all sorts of
0: crimes. Some we're falsely accused of, and some we actually commit. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, on a high chaos playthrough, you're committing all sorts of murder.
1: Oh my god! Yeah. Some of
0: it's self-defense because you're attacked. Basically, every, every people mm. will attack you on sight. Uh, so some of it's arguably self-defense, but it's like you're, you're trespassing where you're not supposed to be. So self-defense probably wouldn't work. Yeah. Well, sort of. I mean, because it, it, you can use lethal self-defense, but it's limited, because you have to either reasonably fear for your life, or it's got to be like one of a specific set of forcible felonies, like uh, burglaries, is one, robbery, arson, kidnapping, where there's a threat to your life. You know.
1: What if, what if you fear for the life of the kingdom?
0: Hmm. Oh, so you, it's proactive because, you know, we need to get rid of Delilah, we need to get rid of Hiram Burroughs, because they're going to plunge the kingdom into chaos. And all yeah. that stuff. Eh, given the fact that there is a non, I don't know. I, I th- well, I, I, I think that I think that technically you're committing all sorts of wrongs under the lo- under the laws that are in place. Like you're committing trespassing, you're committing murder under the laws that are in place at the time. But uh-huh. as a practical matter, once you ascend the throne, you can just sort of forget about all that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? Like, no, no one, no one's going to hold it against you once you take power. <laughs>
1: Okay,
0: That's <laughs> a practical matter, but you are technically committing all sorts of crimes in an effort to take back the throne. <laughs> all that mm-hmm. stuff. you know, um, but of course the, the law that's in place is kind of fluid because the throne changes hands so many times.
1: It's true.
0: So it's a bit fluid. I think under under basic common law, you're committing all sorts of
1: crimes. <laughs> like, we'll need an episode on dishonored.
0: Law. Oh my goodness, we could talk all day. <laughs> so many, so many crimes like there, there, there's murder, larceny, robbery, kidnapping, treason. <laughs> espionage <laughs> Genocide <laughs> Oh man All sorts of good stuff But yeah no that, that Yeah you're absolutely right about the bank Galvani's got In this game Galvani's got his own private vault in the bank And we can Loot it <laughs> Naturally Yeah <laughs> You know So However you get the poppy tincture You put it in the vent And it puts everybody to sleep And you have to carefully sneak around Inside the bank Yeah um once, in, once you're inside the bank, you learn that the knife is in the vault, and the vault is not stationary. It's actually got this elaborate elevator system that lets the vault change location from one floor to the next, and they tout that as a, an advanced security mechanism. The vault itself is very difficult to get into. Um, the only one who has the key to it is Dolores Michaels herself, and it's in her office. So you'll need to get the key from her office, and I think what most people do is uh, – there are a couple things. There's Dolores Michaels' office where the key to the vault is, right? Then there's the vault control mechanism. Now, if you want to actually go into the vault, the most straightforward way is to gain access to the vault control mechanism and put the vault on the floor where you want it, either in Dolores Michael's office or down in the basement. I think those are the two choices. I think that's what most people do. Um, But to access vault control, you need to speak a certain code into the microphone or the guy who's manning the door won't let you in. Somehow he's not asleep. I think people... People on the other, people, like people in a certain building, are not asleep even though you put the poppy tincture in there. Or it could just be a gameplay concession because he has to be conscious to facilitate.
1: Or maybe, maybe you woke him up because you have to ring a bell, right? Oh,
0: you know what? Yeah, oh, you know, yeah, because when you when you hit the buzzer, you actually speak into the mic. Wake up, wake up. You actually tell him to wake up. Mm-hmm. So I think you, when you contact him, it actually wakes him up. He's asleep before then, um, and doesn't think it's weird that he and everyone else in the bank are asleep. Actually, he's sitting there cloistered in his office, and he's kind of isolated, so he may actually not notice. To be fair.
1: Yeah.
0: So you convince him to let you in like once you find the code somewhere in the bank, I think it's on the person of like the chief of security or whatever. You speak the code and let you into vault control and you access the mechanism and find some goodies. But there is another way though. You don't necessarily have to access vault control. You can also tamper with the elevator system and send the vault, you know, crashing down into the basement. And that's another way to get it. Yeah. So as always there's more than one way to do it. Um, So once you get into the vault, you can do all sorts of things. It's not just – obviously, you have to stick the keys in there from Yun and Jacoby to get the knife. But you can also – there's also a uh, a bunch of vaults, a bunch of other safe deposit boxes inside the vault. And most of them are protected by – of course, uh, Kieran Jindosh designed the vault. And he designed this puzzle that you have to solve in order to open up all the other boxes inside the vault. And it's a Fibonacci sequence. Mm-hmm. It's like, once you solve it, all of them will open at once. And So you have to put in yeah. the right numbers in the right order on all the vaults. And then once you do that, they'll all open up at once. And there's a lot of good treasure in there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And a Fibonacci sequence is basically, you know, each number in the sequence is the sum of the two or three numbers that preceded it. So once you get the pattern down, it's fairly easy to figure out. There's one vault that kind of breaks the sequence that kind of throws a twist in there. You
1: know. I usually just Google it.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's an option too, obviously. Too. <laughs> That's, where, that's how I learned that it's a Fibonacci sequence.
1: Yeah, they mention it in a note or on a blackboard or something right. in, the, in the bank. Yeah, I think you, find, but, you yeah.
0: find two different notes that if you read the notes together, it'll kind of – it'll more or less tell you. There, there are two notes, and then there's a guy in the bank who's obsessively trying to figure out how to, how to crack the code. Right? So he, he leaves these two notes, and he's, there's a chalkboard in his office where he's kind of scribbling it out, what he's managed to piece together so far. So if you uh-huh. if you read the two notes in light of that chalkboard, um, either you'll figure it out or you'll Google it.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there we go. Either or.
0: Either way, once you put in the right numbers, all the, all the doors will open up, except for the one except except for the one that has the knife, which you'll open separately by using the two keys. Then you can loot the place. Uh-huh. Um, but I've been getting this far though is really interesting because there's like you know there's walls of light there's arc pylons, there's clockwork soldiers, there's all sorts of things you have to work past. Because obviously the clockwork soldiers, they're machines, they're killer robots, they're not going to fall asleep from the poppy <laughs>
1: no, definitely.
0: So they're patrolling around, and if they detect you, it's going to fail the contract that calls for you to get in and out undetected. Because they're going to wake up the guards, you know, if they see you. Um, so you have to be really careful to get sneak past the machines and tamper with the security systems without being detected and all this stuff. But anyway, so once you get to the knife... Guess who appears to you? Who? The Outsider. (laughs) OMG! (laughs) Dun-dun-dun! And of course he knows exactly what you plan to do. He knows you plan to use the knife to kill him. And when he appears to you, he's actually holding the knife himself. Yeah. (laughs) You know, he's like, basically saying, you know, I'm really the one in charge here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Quick reminder. Just so you know. (laughs) I'm still in charge. I'm
0: the one in charge here. So when he appears to you in the void, he's well, he kind of draws you into the void, I guess, to talk to you. And he's the one holding the knife. And he's looking at it, and he's talking to you and telling you all these things. One of the, one of the things he tells you is that Dowd has died on your boat.
1: Aww. So that's
0: the end of Dowd. End of an era. Yeah. The, the knife of Dunwall is done. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so he, he says he knows your plans. He knows exactly what you do. He knows you plan to kill him. And he's holding the knife himself. But then once the vision is over, you wake up and you have the knife. But the knife, but it's the knife's all pixelated and weird. Yeah, and that's because it's it's what made the outsider what he it was. It's it's you know it's part of the void basically. And so once you get it, it it, it kind of fuses with your strange you know black shard arm. It's essentially yeah. a part of you at that point. You can make it appear and disappear, and it has a couple neat powers. It has void strike. Yeah, like if you charge up the attack button, it'll like put this you know this blast of energy right out in front of you, which can be helpful. Um, it's really helpful in the last mission when you're fighting the, potentially helpful when you're fighting the uh, Enlightened, but that's we're jumping ahead a little bit. Not the Enlightened, the Envisioned. <laughs> but we're jumping ahead. And you can use it to interact with objects and you know, to fight people and stuff, so it's kind of handy. And it also, once you get the knife, you're able to craft your own bone charms with, with all the bits of raw whale bone that you find scattered about. So you get a couple new abilities from the knife. And from, of course, from that point on, you use the twin-bladed knife instead of your assassin's blade to kill people.
1: Yeah. You
0: know. And, you know, most of the contracts in this mission are basically, you know, you're stealing something. You know, all of them are just stealing stuff. Like, you steal a gem out of one of the safes in the vault. You steal, um, you have to find, you have to copy a page out of an address book in Dolores Michael's office. You have to pick the pockets of one of the guards. You know, so it's just stealing stuff. pretty much. There's always a reward. And you return to the ship to find out that Dowd has indeed died, and he leaves you an audio, and you know, an audiograph recording. Stating that, you know, he could have died in a hundred bloody ways, but instead he's going out sitting on your ship, looking out at the ocean, sipping the last Aww. of your good whiskey. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah. That was cute.
0: Yeah. So Dowd is gone. Um, and of course, the dreadful whale isn't re- isn't really seaworthy anymore. The trip to Karnaka was basically the last trip she had in her. So Billy naturally burns up the ship. <laughs> <laughs> Sets it on fire.
1: <laughs> naturally.
0: Naturally. Because <laughs> <Naturally. laughs> well, you know. Why wouldn't you? Right? Just set the boat on fire.
1: Yeah. She should have uh she should have posted an ad on Kijiji for someone to pick it up.
0: Yeah, like donated it like you know when you donate your car, your old beat-up car to charity, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah. I actually there did that with
0: like I had this the, the car I had since college. I just recently donated it to charity because it was So that, that's what we did with that. And it's actually a good thing. You get you get a little tax deduction and you help, you know, a good organization and get rid of a burdensome asset. So it's it's good all around, you know. So yeah. So she's naturally lit her boat on fire, burned it down. And that was kind of her way of, that was kind of a a, a funeral pyre for Dowd, is how she thought of it. Yeah. So now, of course, remember that the uh, the documents that Sinfuego stole, he forwarded to bring in Ashworth at the Royal Conservatory. So naturally, our next mission is to go to the Royal Conservatory and find those documents, because those documents will tell us where the Isles is main headquarters is, and that's important because that is where they go, that is where they make contact with the Void. And the Void is where we have to go to kill the Outsider, because that's where he is. So that naturally, we go to the Royal Conservatory. Now, of course, that was the site of, I think, Mission 6 in Dishonored 2, so it's nowhere we haven't been before. Um, but this time, the Abbey of the Everyman, both factions of the Abbey of the Everyman, have basically taken over the place. Like, uh, that's where as you recall from Dishonored 2, that's where Brianna Ashworth and a bunch of the, wish, the, bunch of the witches were holed up, trying to build the oraculum and influence the dreams and the visions of the Sisters of the Oracular Order. Right. Um, but sometime after that, the Abbey of the Everman basically laid siege to the place and took it over. Uh, they went in there, they slaughtered most of the witches, but they kept some of them alive for interrogation and musical therapy.
1: Yeah, musical therapy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah basically they they strap them to these chairs and I think they would use again something similar to the out to the overseer music boxes and bombard them with those musical waves and they did it to such an extent that most of the time the witches would die.
1: Uh, yeah. So
0: by the time we get to the uh by the time we get to the conservatory only one witch is left alive. And they've got her locked up down in the interrogation room. And the reason they've kept her alive is because there's a particular room that they can't get into. It's like where the last remaining witch is kind of barricaded themselves up, you know, when they knew that the fight wasn't going their way. Um, now, they were all killed with pistols and things, but the Abby can't figure out how to get into the room. And They think that this one witch they've kept alive knows how to get into the room. Of course, without powers, we can get in there without talking to her, but also, if you help her out, she'll give you the key to get in. So, whatever. And there's some goodies in there, like some bone charms and stuff, but nothing, like, crucial. You don't have to go there if you don't want to. But that's the only, that's the re- I say that because that's the reason they've kept this one last witch alive rest of them were either killed in the battle or they were killed in the interrogation chairs with the musical therapy. Yeah, pretty rough stuff.
1: Yeah, and you can actually put one of uh, one of the guards in the musical. That's right. Charity. That's
0: that's one of the contracts. Um, the person you can put in there is roaming vice overseer Alvaro Cardozan. He's the one overseeing the interrogations. Um, and you also come to find out he's a necrophile because he lusts after one of the corpses of the wishes that he.
1: Wishes oh that damn! And so. <laughs>
0: One of the contracts is to, A, kill every overseer and sister of the oracular order in the place. And There are like 55 of them, so it's not a small contract. Except for Cardoza. You're supposed to leave him alive, render him unconscious, and tie him to one of the chairs. And the client will come by to deal with him later. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure who the client is. It might be Brianna Ashworth, but who knows? Because I think she's still alive at this point, unless she was killed in the battle with the Abbey when they took over huh. the conservatory.
1: Um, yeah, the Abbey is so mean, like I'd never feel bad killing them.
0: No. But then again, I wasn't sure that I should feel too sad for the witches either, because you find this one note, right? Because remember they're the ones who overthrew us in Dishonored too.
1: Yeah.
0: And you find this little note that basically indicates that one of them is running around wearing necklace wearing a necklace made of uh male testicles. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. It's like you've got some <laughs> you've got some poor guys, uh baby makers wrapped around your neck. It's like, so it's like, who do I feel sorry for here?
1: <laughs> yeah. There are no good guys on Dishonored.
0: No good guys at all. <laughs> I mean the protagonists are assassins and thieves and everybody else is just bait <laughs> Yeah. No good people in Dishonored. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm like, who do I feel sorry for really? Um
1: Maybe that's the real reason the outsider doesn't show up to a lot of people. He's like, oh, I just want y'all to be more interested. But in reality, he's just scared. He's like, <laughs> it's like you people are freaky.
0: <laughs> you people are crazy, man. I'm I'm showing up to the same people. Like Delilah, Granny Rags. I'm showing up yeah. to the stable people.
1: <laughs> yeah, Delilah and Granny Rags are the most stable <laughs> ones of you, okay? Yep. That's saying something.
0: <laughs> and Dowd and... <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so basic, your basic mission in the conservatory is to go inside there and find these documents that are going to tell you where the Islas have been holed up and where they're making contact with the Void. And that's basically what you do. You explore up and down. There are multiple levels, and there are all sorts of interesting things to find. Um, you come to learn that the reason that uh, Vice Overseer Cardoza is interrogating these witches the way they are is that he believes that there's like a specific organ in the body that's corrupted, and it makes them turn to turn into witches and follow heresy and depart from the seven strictures and be bad people. So he's trying to find this corrupted organ. If he does it, he thinks he can purify them and turn them into good, well-behaved uh, people again. <laughs> you know. So he's uh, obsessed with – that's why he's doing these autopsies, and that's why he's doing all these other things. Of course, he's also doing the autopsies because he likes to look at beautiful dead women. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but this, this mission is kind of cool in terms of story because the Sisters of the Oracular Order, which – you know, we've already mentioned this, but there are basically two factions of the Abbey. The Overseers and the Sisters of the of the Order. Right.
1: Um,
0: the Overseers right. are all men. The Sisters are all women. Mm-hmm. And the Overseers are basically the, the sword of the Abbey. They're the military and police force. They go and they, they burn heretics and they kill heretics and they burn heretical things. and They do all these wonderful things uh, to purge the land of heresy. Which basically heresy is anything having to do with the outsider. Their, their ostensible goal... Like they they've come they don't worship any god but their whole philosophy is oriented around opposing the outsider and staying away from his influence. Uh, right. Because to them the outsider is, you know, if if you're tempted to commit adultery, that's the outsider. If you're tempted to steal, yeah. that's the outsider. The outsider is
1: So, yeah, the outsider is the saboteur. Like Richie sabotages me. That's it. Yeah,
0: the outsider wants to sabotage your life by tempting you to do bad things. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but in truth, the outsider doesn't tempt anybody to do anything. It's just Yeah. Because he, he doesn't care to interact with most people
1: at all. So, no. So, Not at like all. He,
0: he watches everything, but he only manifests to people. Mm. So he doesn't tempt anyone. Mm. Like, there's this myth that one of the High Overseers, which the High Overseer is, you know, the main Overseer. There's a, this story where the Outsider turned into a serpent and killed one of the High Overseers, and that's absolutely false. <laughs> you know? That's, yeah. the, the Outsider just doesn't do stuff like that. No. So a lot of the, at least the the rank and file of the Overseers have have a lot of misconceptions about the outsider. The sisters of the irregular order are a bit more in the know than the overseers are. And I think the sisters, are the real power behind the Abbey, I think. Of course they, they cry out against the occult, but at the same time they enter these trances and have all these dreams and visions and prophecies. So they practice divination even while they cry against witchcraft and occultic practices. So it's,
1: Yeah. It's a little uh, hypocritical. Just
0: a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and. In a very rare move, they've actually left their enclave and come to the Royal Conservatory themselves, because I guess there's so much witchcraft and so many heretical items there that they need the big guns, they need the Sisters of the Iracular Order to come and sift through it all and get rid of what needs to be gotten rid of and help purify the place. So the Overseers, in a very rare thing, the Overseers and the Iracular Sisters are in one place together. It's very rare. And the sisters, as we know, most of them walk around with blindfolds, which seems very impractical. <laughs> <laughs> it's very bloodborne. Very bloodborne, yeah, because like how do you see with your eyes covered?
1: Uh it's eyes on the inside, Nick, duh. <laughs>
0: Put plant eyes <laughs> on our brains to cleanse our beastly idiocy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see Mikelosh he at least he's got enough at least his head covering is weird, right? It's a cage, but at least he can see out of the cage.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's the least insane one.
0: I think we mentioned this, but he does everything he can to avoid fighting us. He he sounds crazy at first, but he's probably like the sanest person in the game. <laughs>
1: yes. The outsider should go see him.
0: Yeah, that, that he, yeah, the outsider should go into the Nightmare Mensis and have a powwow with Mikolaj. They'd probably get along. Yeah. <laughs> I would think. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, it, but the, these miraculous sisters, they deliberately walk around blindfolded. You can kind of tell, too, like when you fight them, if you back enough away from them, they won't be able to necessarily find you. They'll kind of grope around and Try to find. Like, if you're close enough to them, it's almost like you're finding an opponent who can see you. You can't really tell the difference for the most part. Mm-hmm. But if you, like, back far enough away from them, I'll notice that they'll kind of be groping around trying to find you because they can't see because their eyes are covered. And I'm like, you're fighting for your life. Can you take off the
1: blindfold? <laughs> it's a matter of principle, Nick. <laughs> the blindfold stays on. <laughs>
0: yeah, you are fighting for your life and you're still walking
1: around with this blindfold.
0: <laughs> I think the reason for that is, like, so they, they're not overburdened by. You're seeing the physical world, and they can kind of have the insight they need to get their prof- prophecies and visions and see what matters more clearly. It's like you can facilitate insight by blinding your eyes to the influence of the physical world or whatever. Something like that. That's the reason they do it. Uh, but there's one who walks around without a blindfold. She's the head honcho. <laughs> and you come to find that she's the one who has the information you need. Uh, her name is Lena Rosewin. and she's not, she's not the main... Um, oracular sister of all she's not the high oracle over all of them but she's the leader of the group that's there you know Uh and again you can spot easily spot her because she's the only one who's not wearing a blindfold uh, Uh because you know she realizes that
1: she's like the genius of the group (laughs) if I don't wear this blindfold I can see that's how she got promoted (laughs) she's the only one that didn't bump the tables as she was walking around the office
0: (laughs) yeah pretty much like you know what, this kid's going places <laughs> and she she's the one who has the information we need. She, it's a silver graph, which is basically a slide that you can put in a projector, make mm-hmm. a picture appear on the wall mm-hmm. and it, it, it initially it looks innocuous. It's just a map of Shindare Peak, and it, it tells you where the mine is, and at first blush it appears to, it appears totally harmless. Mm-hmm. but if you leave uh, Cardo if you leave Cardoza alone long enough, she will talk to him and she'll give him the silver graph. And she'll tell him to destroy it. And he'll take a look at it. And he's like, this is just a map. What's heretical about this? Why did she insist that I destroy this? So he just leaves it in the projector because he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll tend to this later. This looks harmless. Whatever,
1: I'll do it later. Yeah, he's a procrastinator. Yeah.
0: This isn't black <laughs> magic. This isn't strange symbols. This isn't a recipe for a potion. It's just a map. I don't see why Sister Rosalind wants it destroyed.
1: Yeah, he's like, I could do it, but uh, I gotta go have my lunch.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I could do this, but I could also go fondle a corpse. <laughs> <laughs> and so he leaves it in the projector for you to come take <laughs> mm-hmm. or if you, if you get the Roswin quick enough you can kill her and incapacitate her or you can steal Cardoza's face and she'll just give it to you because she thinks you're him um, so there are different ways to get it and so basically that's your mission to retrieve the silver graph and get the information about the mine that's located in Shindare Peak it's in a place that the, even the cartographers haven't mapped out but it, the map does appear on this one silver graph And that's part of the documents that the Islas sent to Dolores Michaels, telling her she's going to be accepted, she's going to be invited to come, so she needs to know where the place is. So that's why they sent it to her. They're like, protect this with your life. So once we find the silver graph, that's basically the mission. Again, there, there are contracts, and the one involves killing everybody, again, except for Cardoza. And the witch that we find locked up, she refuses to leave until we've killed all the overseers, and we can lie to her and tell her that we did. We can actually do it and tell her that we did. Either way, she'll give us the key to get into that secret room we were talking about.
1: Yeah. Naturally.
0: And so there's that contract that basically asks you to kill them all except for Cardoza and strap him to the chair. And then um, there's another one that's kind of interesting from a story perspective. It's called Pilfer the Prophecies. Because you come to find out that Rosalind keeps a detailed record of her own prophecies and visions in a book. It's rumored that she knows... All the dirty secrets throughout the empire, you know, murder, treason, love affairs, all the juicy stuff you could blackmail somebody with, right?
1: Uh Uh-huh.
0: So the client wants that book. And you happen to find the book in a broken elevator nearby the corpse of some poor sap who died trying to fulfill the contract. How do we know that he died trying to fulfill the contract? Because he's got a copy of the solicitation for the contract on his person. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Basically, the flyer for the contract is in his pocket. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, this poor fool died trying to find the book. But, of yeah. course, we have powers, so we find the book. <laughs> uh-huh. And then another one is called A Risky Wager. And basically, the client, when the Abbey took over the place, the client fled. But in her haste, she left behind a very precious artifact guarded by many traps. Many, many, many traps. <laughs> <laughs> many trip wires. I'm sure you, you remember this part of it. Basically, you have to sneak in there, get past all the traps, and get the artifact.
1: Yeah.
0: And there's like 20 trip wires. It's ridiculous. Uh, most. Of
1: yeah, the- it's just crazy.
0: The most of them are easy to see, but if you're not careful, you'll get, you know, you'll get hit with a, a yeah. grenade. Not that, I, <laughs> not, not that I was ever not careful and got hit with a grenade. Obviously not. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> it's a fun little side question. Yeah. Huh? Getting past yeah. all... You see a couple of people have died trying, including an overseer.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: You find their corpses hanging there because they got caught up in some of the traps. So yeah, once you have the information you need, you know exactly where you need to go, which is the mine in Shindare Peak where the Eyeless Cult is holed up. Now I guess now is is as good a time as any to kind of explain all that. The last mission is called A Hole in the World, and it's basically straight to the point. There are no contracts, there is no black market shop, Mm -hmm. there's basically no side quest at all, it's just complete the mission. Mm -hmm. You know, to make up for that, there's all the good lore in this game is in the last mission, pretty much. This is where you find out everything, basically. Yeah. This is where you find out what's at the heart of it all. And I think basically the real reason sort of the Abbey, the Everyman exists and opposes the Outsider is not just to protect people from his influence, but to cover up the secret of his origin. Uh-huh. Uh, most most people don't know that. Most people in the Abbey don't know that. But a few of these irregular sisters know that. Rosalind knows that because you find a note – I think it's by her or by one of the sisters. You find it, and it says basically – you know, if if people get – the reason she wanted the lithograph destroyed with the map is because she knows that if anyone breaks in there and gets into the void and either kills the outsider or releases him from the void, then the void will be unstable and it could threaten the world. She knows this. So she says, some in our order would like to see the outsider dead. They would rejoice. Some have more wisdom than that. That's a clue that, yeah. you know, trouble will ensue if we kill the outsider or release him from the void, <laughs> you know. yeah. So that's why she wants the map destroyed because she doesn't want anyone getting to – you know, that, that, that place and getting inside the Void and killing the Outsider. Now, we've talked about that's the place where you can go to the Void and kill the Outsider. We haven't really explained why yet. So people may, we may have left people scratching their heads. So now is as good a time as any to kind of explain all that to set the stage for our final mission. Yeah. 4,000, well, going back actually more than 4,000 years ago, the Void is, you, you, you could sort of think of it as an alternate dimension, like the Dreamlands in Bloodborne, but not exactly. It is an alternate plane of existence, but i like to think of it as chaotic emptiness. Right? It's like when you go there, it's like everything is chaotic, everything is swirling. Um, you'll see bits and pieces of things that remind you of our world. Like, still basically they look like still shots of events or bits of random furniture flying around. Whales mm-hmm. sort of swimming through nothing in the void. You know, all these yeah. random images. Um, and that's because the, the void itself is kind of a place of ch- dynamic, chaotic emptiness that takes some of its form from the base reality in our physical world, but it it exists outside of, within, yet independent of our reality. It's uh, sort of like, I guess the way I I think of it is, it's like in, for example, it's like, before the events of the creation in the Book of Genesis, everything was formless and empty. And so that's how I like to conceptualize the void. It's like this, this emptiness that existed before our universe came into being and will exist, I guess, after it fades into nothingness, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, most of the information we have about the Void is actually from developer commentary, because a lot of this stuff isn't actually explicitly stated in the game. It's hinted at, but it's not explicitly stated. But Harvey Smith and the gang did a good job of kind of explaining it outside of the games in, like, interviews and stuff. So that's where most of this information comes from. The Void is kind of alive, though, in its own way, and what it hungers for is a representational deity. Uh, basically one being to exist at the center of the void and keep it stable. Because without a representational deity to live inside the void, there's a chance that the void will go unstable. And as the events of the book, The Veiled Terror, indicate, it it, it will sort of spill over into our world in unpredictable places, unpredictable ways, and threaten sort of the very fabric of existence. And so there have been multiple representational deities in the void throughout history. The outsider is the latest of these. The one who came before him is now, like, they, none of them last forever. Like, either they'll die, or they'll, like, fade away, or they'll be absorbed into the void. Or for some reason, they'll cease to serve in that role. And so, unless a replacement is found, the void will destabilize and threaten our world. 4,000 years ago, there was no representational deity in the void. The previous one had died. And so, the, there was this cult that knew about the void, knew its nature, knew what it could do. And they started to notice that prominent stars in the sky were disappearing.
1: Uh Uh-oh. Yeah.
0: So they're like, "Uh uh-oh, the Void is starting to destabilize. So they thought they had to act quickly. And so they searched for a person who demonstrated the qualities of someone who could have a strong connection with the Void and serve as that representational deity in the Void. The person they found was an orphan in the streets of some, you know, obscure and now forgotten city. And so they took him, against his will, to this place called the Ritual Hold. And the Ritual Hold is basically, it exists outside of our world, it exists outside of time, it's kind of the the center of the void itself. The only place you can access the Ritual Hold is in this mine in Shindere Peak, where we're going to for our last mission. And you access it by means of this artifact called the Eye of the Dead God. And the consensus is, And I think it's, you know, it's the most sensible theory is that the dead god is the representational deity in the void that came before the outsider. And the outsider speaks, when the outsider speaks of the dead god, he says, it's a remnant of whatever god came before my time. So basically, the the, the previous representational deity in the void, it somehow died. But this eye of the dead god is the only thing that's left over from it. And it's, it's actually pretty big. It's about the size of a human torso. (laughs) <laughs> and, it's, and it's deep within the mines, and it's like this glowy red thing that's kind of embedded in the rock deep within the mine. And it looks like part of a larger face, but you can't really see the whole face. It's weird. It's like, it's sort of, the rock is sort of hewn around it in the shape of, like, an eye, an eyelid. And the orb itself looks like an eye. And people who are exposed to that can kind of see where the void creeps into our world, and they can sort of enter the void that way. And that, is, that in turn is how you get to the ritual hole, which again is to the, cent- the center of the void. And that's where they took this young boy um, and they strapped him to an altar there in the ritual hole, which again is at the heart of the void. And they took a twin-bladed knife and they killed him with it. They slit his throat. And when they slit his throat, somehow they cut away his name, which I think is kind of a metaphor for his human identity. Just, you know, your whole identity, your reputation is wrapped up in your name. And so when they slit his throat with this mystical twin-bladed knife, they cut away his name, they cut away his mortal life, his reputation. And it became embodied in the mark that he gives us. The mark is his name that they cut away. Mm-hmm. But no, no living person can read that language. We come to learn later that only like a dead spirit can read that language. Uh, but that's something we find like halfway through the mission, or more like three-quarters of the way through the mission. And so by that ritual... Uh, the, outs- the the young man was merged with the void. His physical form was basically trapped in stone at the very center of the void, and his spirit, his psyche, is what manifests to us as the outsider. So this young man became the outsider by virtue of this ritual. So now he's the representational deity for the void.
1: Yeah.
0: So the void was stabilized. He controls the void. He decides who is exposed to its magic and who isn't. All that other stuff. Um. He's never and. After these cultists did that, some of them stayed behind in the void, in the ritual hold, to safeguard the outsider's physical body inside the void. Because they they knew if he was ever killed or released, the void would have no representational deity and it could destabilize again, like it was apparently starting to do when the stars were disappearing. Um, And over time, due to prolonged exposure to the void, these people turned into these big stone... Monsters with these pikes for arms that can one shot you.
1: <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you yeah
0: because when you fight them, if they actually stick you with their with their pokey hands it's even on easy mode it's one shot uh, so they, they, they're pretty tough enemies there, there's a formula to kill them if you basically if you do enough damage to their head you'll stun them, and then you can use your knife to kill them but it's it's kind of fun kind of rough they've, mm-hmm. they've killed me a few times I until I figured out how to kill them
1: <laughs>
0: but anyway and so the cur- the modern day Eyeless cult is basically a continuation of the original cult that made the outsider. Um and they they see it as their duty to safeguard the ritual hold to safeguard the eye of the dead god and to make sure no one gets in there and messes around and releases or kills the outsider. Right. You know. So they they, they see themselves as the guardians of the stability of the world and they're always they're cloistered there, and they're sleeping on cots, and they're studying. They've got, you know, shelves and shelves full of books to study, all kinds of materials on the void. And they, sometimes they'll get together, and they'll expose themselves to the eye of the dead god, and when you do that, again, you can actually see the void, and see into the void, and enter it, and interact with it. And mm-hmm. So they're exposing themselves to the void, and some of them now are starting to turn into these envisioned creatures, these big creatures of stone. And when they do that, they enter into the void, and they no longer acknowledge or communicate with those who have not yet transformed. It's like, you know, we're too good for you now. We're, we're ascended. We're evolved. We don't notice you anymore. <laughs> you <know? laughs> There's speculation that the envisioned creatures are still aware of their mortal companions and just choose not to associate with them, but it's not really known whether they can even perceive what's going on in the real world anymore. You know? Because all they do is basically stand guard over the outsider and kill anyone who gets near the ritual hole. Um. So your basic mission is to get past all of the cultists and get to the Eye of the Dead God. Now, this black eye thing that the Outsider gives you is actually a tiny part of the Eye of the Dead God. So when you use foresight, you can see the Eye of the Dead God way off in the distance, and Billy remarks how it hurts to look at it. You know, Because it resonates with your eye in a way that's painful to Billy. As you get fairly close to where the Eye of the Dead God is, you learn about this fellow named, uh, I think his name is Malchione. He was a member of the cult, but he, he went off the reservation, so naturally he wound up dead uh, because <laughs> he, he started to break the rules a little bit. He became fascinated with this language that's represented in the outsider's mark, right? And so he studied it, and he studied it, and he poked around and stuck his nose where he shouldn't have stuck it. <laughs> and he's the one who learned that that is his name, that they cut away with the knife. That mark is his name. And he learned that only a dead spirit can read it. And he realized that if a dead spirit or, I shouldn't say dead spirit, like a spirit of someone who has died, reads that name and whispers it to his physical form, it will release him from the void and he'll be reborn into the real world as a mortal man and he'll live out his days just like anyone else. That would mean there's no representational deity in the void to keep it stable, though. (laughs) Uh (laughs) So he's like, he's like, Good gracious! (laughs) What I have learned could undo everything we have accomplished. You know? Yeah. But he, nevertheless, he is obsessed with deciphering the, the language, and he's also obsessed with making... See, within the eyeless, it is absolutely forbidden to at least unilaterally make contact with the Eye of the Dead God. It is certainly forbidden to go to the ritual hole. And if, even if you're a high-ranking member of their cult, if you try to interact with the Eye of the Dead God on your own, if you try to get to the Ritual hole, they'll kill you. And so that's what happened to this fella. He was killed because he got too close. Aww. You know? He kept poking around. He kept trying to interact with the Eye of the Dead God when he wasn't supposed to. And he got killed. Yeah. And, on, and when you interact with the Eye of the Dead God, you find his corpse sort of fused with the stone inside the void.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Hardcore.
0: Yeah. And that's where you find the key to get into his room, and that's where you learn that if you have a spirit, whisper the Outsider's real name to him in the Void, that can release him. So that's, that's your non-lethal solution, pretty much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Really, there's not much in the mission worth talking about because there aren't any side quests or anything. You're just basically – it's very straightforward. You're getting to the eye of the dead god. And you're getting to the ritual hole where, where the Outsider is. Um, mm-hmm. And you find all sorts of notes and everything that basically state what I've said. You know, yeah. you can piece it together from a lot of the little notes you find scattered about. It. Um, one, one interesting thing is that never has the outsider ever appeared to a member of this cult that's watching over him and keeping people from getting to him inside the void. Never once has he appeared to any of them. And they wonder about that. He's like, they're like, why does he appear to the miserable and the downtrodden and the worthless people when we're the ones, only ones who know the truth about him and we're the ones standing watch over him?
1: Maybe he doesn't like you guys very much. Yeah!
0: <laughs> <laughs> because, like, throughout the game... Every now and again, you'll see, like, a poster on the wall, and it will flicker in a weird way. Mm -hmm. And if you get close to it and hit inspect, like, hit the square button, your your black hand will start to glow green, and it'll interact with the poster, and the outsider will talk to you. And, of course, everything he says is cryptic and kind of hard to figure out. But basically, he's saying, you know, back when they did this to me, they never asked what I wanted. (laughs) Yeah. Never cared what I thought. They just did it. And, uh... Very soon, I'll have what I never thought I was going to have, which was an ending. So, basically, the reason he's helping you is because he wants you to get to the ritual. hole, And he wants you to know you have a choice. He wants you to know that you can kill him, or you can release him. I think he's hoping you'll release him, so he can live out a mortal life. Yeah. Um, because he keeps, he says, you know, you have a choice. You're preoccupied with what Dowd wants you to do, which is to kill him. But you have a choice. You know, and later, in this mission, you learn what that choice is. You can either kill him or release him. Because if you just... If when you get, to, when, you, when you finally get to his physical form, trapped in stone inside the ritual hold, you can choose to just stab him with the knife and that'll kill him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really sad ending, really sad, cynical, sort of depressing ending. Yeah. Because Billy's just like, well, I'm a killer, I've always been a killer, I'm never going to be anything else but a killer, and this is what killers do.
1: <laughs> I even kill gods. <laughs>
0: yeah, I even kill gods. But, you know, before that, right as you get to the very center of it, right as you first see the outsider's physical form inside the void which is a trippy place once you actually once you actually get there and get to the center of it it's a really trippy place yeah find all these restless spirits wandering around basically muttering about their regrets in life you know because that's sort of the dishonored version of hell it's like when you when you when you're bad when you're bad during life you wander the void without peace or rest forever you know and of course naturally doubt is there
1: <laughs> obviously naturally doubt is there <laughs>
0: And, uh, and he's, he's, he's sitting, you know, right close to where the outsider's physical form is. He's filled with regret and muttering to himself. And when you come up to him, of course, this is not his physical body. It's his spirit because he's dead.
1: Mm-hmm. When
0: you first see him, he doesn't recognize you at first. You have to talk to him for a little bit and he finally recognizes you. Yeah. And, of course, naturally, the first thing he wants you to do is to kill the outsider. And, of course, you can do that or you can convince Dowd to read the mark and give him back his name and release him. And it basically it's a function of your dialogue choices with Doubt. Um, you could just walk up to the Outsider and kill him, I guess, without even talking to Doubt if you want. But to get the uh, to get the non lethal ending and release the Outsider to live out his days as a as a human, you have to talk to Doubt and convince him to read the mark and whisper the Outsider's name to him and give him back his name and undo the ritual.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. uh, you know you can't because you, you're not dead. You can't read the language. You can't read his name. So, it it takes some convincing, but you can, if you pick the right dialogue options, you'll eventually convince Dowd to, you know, to read the mark, give him back his name, and set him free. And that is the ending that gives Dowd peace, finally. After you do that, you know, uh, Dowd says, farewell for the last time, and then his spirit sort of fades away, and he's finally at peace.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But if you kill the outsider, then he has no peace, and his spirit continues to wander the void.
1: <laughs> you know? Aww.
0: <laughs> you know, so... Really, it's it's the bad ending if you kill the Outsider yeah. because nobody's happy, nobody's at peace. It's true. But if you choose to release the Outsider, then the Outsider gets the mortal life he never had. Dao's restless spirit finally finds peace. Hmm. Um, but either way, there's no longer any representational deity in the Void, so naturally, all heck breaks loose. Um. <laughs> now, you don't really see this in the game. You have to look to the, the novel called The Veiled Terror that comes out, and it takes place after the game. And it's... Basically, the whole point of the book is Billy has to find a way to save the world because the Void is destabilizing and threatening the world, <laughs> you know?
1: Makes sense, yeah.
0: But of course, you know, that's a subject for another day, but it's proof that without that representational deity there, the Void can destabilize and it's, it's not good. <laughs> so yeah, but that is, that is Death of the Outsider.
1: Oh my god, that's it!
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's about, I'd say it's maybe just a little over half the length of Dishonored 2, and we spent about half the time talking about it as we did Dishonored 2. Yeah, it's so true. But it's got a lot of good, the reason I like it so much is the missions are fun, and it's got a lot of great lore, and you find out a lot of things that were only hinted at in prior games, about like the nature of the outsider, the nature of the void, and what it's all about. So I really like it. Uh, but yeah, that's all the missions, that's it. We got through both endings and everything else. <laughs> Thanks so much, Nick! Heck yeah, thank you so much for having me. This, as always, was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, that means the next time we record, we can finally go into the details of the characters! Heck
0: yeah! Talk about Corvo or who, or Billy or, you know, that, that dude on the side of the road there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, and by the way, you also have a YouTube channel? Oh, yes,
0: under the under the name Cinder Thief with a Y. C-Y and Barth. We have, uh... YouTube channel where we post gameplay stuff and other things. Of course, we stream on Twitch.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so, you know, st- stab that like button, stab that follow button. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go to go to YouTube and hit that sub button and go to Twitch and hit that yeah.
1: follow button. <laughs> hit that bell!
0: <laughs> oh, thank you very much. But yeah, though, so no, it's, it's, we have love. Oh,
1: awesome! Oh,
0: up to 134 followers on. Kind of nuts.
1: <laughs> That's more than you have on YouTube. It is. Oh, snap. We got our, Amazing.
0: We got 125 on YouTube. And 134. Followers. Nice. And pretty good. I mean, we're no ninja or anybody, but, you know.
1: We're, yeah, we're better. We're having fun. <laughs>
0: we just having fun. I actually had more pages of notes for this than I did for the near podcast. And yeah, we covered three games in that one. And, Hours, that was amazing.
1: Oh, god, yeah, that was that was crazy. That was a lot of info. <laughs> yeah,
0: if in two, three, uh, th- three big games in two hours, I thought we did good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so.
0: Have a good night, get some sleep, and have some snacks.
1: Yeah, snacks are important, yeah,
0: absolutely, it keeps the body growing.
1: Yeah, important part of a balanced meal, you know,
0: absolutely. marones yeah. and and. <laughs> <macaroni>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: McDonald's breakfast and <laughs> It's And good old Subway too. Don't forget Subway. Yeah, that's true. Lebanese food. All the good stuff.
0: <laughs> all the delectable delicacies in-